What is Mount Wondegore? What was the siege of Wondegore? Who is the high evolutionary? These are questions that may be slightly answered today, but not in depth, probably. Definitely not. We are not getting into <laughs> high evolutionary. This is, not, this is not a high evolutionary podcast. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is... Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me again today is returning guest Luke Ruddick, known to members of the Cerebro Discord server as a hardworking moderator in that server, known to listeners of Cerebro as my guest previously for the Shatterstar episode some time ago. Luke, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing really good. Just taking it easy. Getting ready to fight for my life. To for Maximoff. <laughs> yeah, we are here today to talk about Pietro Maximoff Quicksilver because Luke has spent two years now breaking down my resolve until such time as I agreed to do this episode. Quicksilver is, if I'm not mistaken, Luke, your favorite Marvel character, correct? Pretty much, yeah. Like, I can never really fully commit, but Quicksilver remains either in the one or two spot at all times. And that's unusual, like, in the world at large. So... I know. I, I'm aware. <laughs> so, for people not familiar with Quicksilver, Quicksilver is the twin brother of Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch. He is sort of Marvel's answer to the Flash. He has super speed and all that. The reason that there hasn't been an episode on him or on Wanda, despite the fact that they are original members of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants introduced by Stanley and Jack Kirby in 1963, is that they are primarily Avengers characters and more recently in a very definitive attempt to cordon them off from the X-Men titles in 2015, they were retconned during the Axis crossover to not be Magneto's children after all. The revelation that they were Magneto's long-lost biological children was itself a retcon made in the 80s, but it was the thing that was probably most known about these characters for the 30 years that followed. It uh, is a pretty, I would say, unpopular, infamous retcon, the, the undoing of it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, had to, I had to bite my tongue whilst you were describing the retcon, just so that I wasn't <laughs> yelling boo into my mic repeatedly, because <laughs> I felt that would be day class A and not a great way to start the episode. Yeah, and, you know, writers have intimated in the time since that... This is not an editorial thing. This is really more of a corporate thing. It's about the fact that Wanda and Pietro are established as non-mutant characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that when they debuted in the MCU, Disney did not own the rights to the mutant characters, and therefore there was a huge rights dispute between Disney and Fox about who owned specifically Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. That's why you have Evan Peters playing a version of Quicksilver in the Fox X-Men franchise at the same time that Aaron Taylor Johnson briefly played a version of Quicksilver in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That 
legal issue has now been resolved, but in the time since, Wanda Maximoff, in her form in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, has become probably Marvel's most prominent female character. It's either her or Carol Danvers in multimedia. So it seems it's like inescapable it's inescapable in at this point. Right. That leaves Quicksilver in a slightly odd awkward position because he was killed off in his first MCU appearance and therefore doesn't really get the MCU weight behind him to pull him forward the way that Wanda has. He's still anchored down by that corporate decision. Yes, because in the comics, his core associations are with Wanda as his sister, Magneto as his father, which now has been downplayed, and Crystal of the Inhumans as his wife, which for other out-of-story reasons has been deemphasized. We cannot get into the MCU Inhumans. No, we're I not going to. In the house. We don't need to do that. But anyway, that's just a little bit of an intro for all of you. Why did I finally agree to do this episode and not a Wanda episode, you might ask? First of all, as I say to anyone on Twitter who asked me to do a Wanda episode, I don't think a Wanda episode of Cerebro would be fun for Wanda fans. The things that Wanda fans like about the character are not really what I would be talking about on Cerebro because every time Wanda appears in an X-Men story until Trial of Magneto last year, it's basically in the role of antagonist or plot device. They're the stories that Wanda fans don't particularly like. And there are stories that are not enormously flattering to her. So I just don't think it would be fun to sit for a couple hours and dissect all of those stories, particularly. With Quicksilver, he was on Peter David's X-Factor roster during the 90s height of the X-Men franchise. So to a lot of people, he is unmistakably an X-Men character. This led to him being used a lot in adaptations at the time getting put on lots of X-Men merch of the period. Like there's that weird Walmart sweatshirt that's like X-Men that randomly has Megan and Strong Guy and like a couple other, because it's just a, a random assemblage of like Jim Lee drawings from the 90s that they slapped on to oh, a t-shirt. Yeah. Like they copy and pasted that huge one where he draws everyone. Exactly. And, and it's just him. randomly like 20 characters that they just seem to have chosen out of a hat. So for that reason... Because he was once one of Val Cooper's little minions, he does feel more like an X-Men character than Wanda does. That said, he still is primarily an Avengers character. And on this episode, I would like to skip over, for the most part, his lengthy tenures with just the Avengers or the West Coast Avengers or whatever, except insofar as you find them interesting. I'm mostly going to let Luke drive this episode because I don't really know for the most part, what I'm talking about. This is maybe the least prepared I've ever been for an episode of Cerebro because I gotta be <laughs> honest, I have read maybe 15 to 20% of Quicksilver's total appearances because this is not an Avengers podcast. I'm gonna point out I'm a little tipsy and also I don't have a driver's license, so this episode may become chaotic with me in the driver's seat. Well, let's buckle up, shall we? I think that that's probably the way to go. To get in the slightly an Avengers podcast mood, I am wearing a Captain America t-shirt and I am drinking out of the Pym Technologies oh, flask that I got, got at Disneyland. Yeah. Lou Disney pills, yeah. Discord moderator, Disney gay Luis Lopez took me to Disneyland last weekend for gay days. Was it last weekend? I've like lost all track of time now. I, I 
think it's yeah, only I been like a week. Yeah. yeah, we're now recording on Rosh Hashanah, and I took the day off. So, and and I'm like two days out from dental surgery. So, frankly. Mama has lost all track of the calendar, but I feel like that's very form and content because Pietro never knows what time it is. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to say at least the Wanda Pietro thing. I think Wanda, it wouldn't be a good episode because she thrives in the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And when she shows up in the X-Men, it's to her detriment. This is going to work as an episode. I'm promising you now. Because with Pietro, it's the opposite. Yeah. He's best as a character when he's in X-Men stuff. And when he shows up in the Avengers, it's mostly to be Wanda's asshole brother. Right, to be an antagonist for Wanda, frankly. Yeah, or to get cucked by Crystal. Well, right, but that's stuff I like. Yes, that's fun. (laughs) This is a pro-Crystal household. Crystal is the one inhuman who has rights. Besides Kamala Khan, but she doesn't count anymore because the MCU made her a mutant. So guess what, baby? If Wanda and Pietro are any indication, I think that little Miss Khan is not going to be an inhuman for too much longer. But we shall see. I don't have any insider info on that. I'm not in the room, but we don't know. We just don't know. If this becomes a discussion point in the Discord because of this episode, I'm going to kill you. If you're in the Discord, please respect our Discord moderators who are occasional guests of this podcast by not talking about the MCU because we have, in fact, banned the MCU and all discussion of it from the Discord server. This is not an MCU podcast. Luke, before we dig in, I'd love for you to talk a bit about why this character resonates so much with you. For a little context on you, for people who either haven't heard the Shatterstar episode or who have forgotten because it's been a minute. It's been like 20 or 30 episodes since. Yeah. Oh, it's been 45 episodes. Has it really? My gosh. Yeah, that was episode 42. This is going to be episode 87. You're absolutely right. You're producing a lot of fucking content. (laughs) (laughs) I really am. We're inching up to episode 100, which is fully crazy. But incredible. Thank you. I just like to get a little bit into your backstory with the X-Men, your backstory with this character, and also just like in general, your backstory, because it's relevant here. So I think I was kind of doomed to love Pietro from the moment I saw him, because I've always loved super speed as a power. Mm Mm-hmm. I think there's this brilliant, wonderful fantasy, this idea that you can just run and be anywhere. So, like, as a kid, I was very much into Sonic the Hedgehog. Right, that makes sense. Like, I read the comics, I watched the TV shows. He's got a very quicksilver quality to him in a lot of the stuff. Mm -hmm. And that he's fast, he's kind of an asshole, but he's still fun. I can't imagine Pietro eating a chili dog, but otherwise... No, probably not. I also... I don't think it's a secret, but I did not have a great childhood. So I was a very angsty teen. And it's easy to gravitate to a character like Pietro when you're an angsty teen with daddy issues because he is an angsty man with daddy issues. And in some adaptations, an angsty teen with daddy issues. He's just constantly going through it, constantly having issues with his father, constantly crying and trying to hide his single tear. And then I also felt drawn to him when I realized that he was a Romani character. Right. Because obviously his father, well, he's part Jewish, part Romani. Well, he was. It's complicated. So this is the... <laughs> the so here's, here's the thing, guys. When we're talking about Pietro and Wanda's heritage, it's going to be hard for us to deal with all the retcons there have been three versions of their backstory one is that they are white european actually white american 
children adopted by Romani people when they were supposed to be Miss America and the Wizards children. Then they were half Jewish, half Romani children when they were Magneto's children with his Romani wife Magda. And now the current version is that they are fully Romani because they were adopted by their aunt and uncle. The adoptive parents have remained consistent, Django and Mario yeah, Maximoff. But yes. the question has always been who their biological parents were. But regardless of adoption or biology, they were always part of Romani culture. Yes. I think that's at least been kind of a consistent thing for both of them for so long mm -hmm. that no matter what you retcon, you cannot take that out of them now. Right. And you should not. And it was just very kind of exciting and interesting for me to learn that about them because I have some Romani heritage. Quite a bit, honestly. I mean, you... Yeah, quite a bit. You grew up in a caravan, didn't you? For a while. I always feel weird saying this, but it's like, I know you do, but like couple of years. <laughs> listen, here's the thing. If we're gonna talk about the Maximovs and your relationship to them, I feel like you should be able to claim your Romani pen a little bit. This is another way that you're much like Pietra. I know that because you look white in whatever sense, you get nervous about doing that. But that's a very common experience that a lot of Romani people I know have. So yeah. it's worth talking about. And I don't know anyone else who literally was a toddler in a Romani caravan. So I feel like you have some cred that it's okay for you to own. It's just always so funny to talk about it. And also a little like, because yeah, it's like, yeah, we were in the caravan for the first couple of years. Then we moved into that house that we were probably squatting in. And then we moved into that, we probably have to call it a commune at this point, because it was like 20 of us living together for a while in a huge house in the south of France. That's where Margali Sardish is from. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not know that exactly. She's Manu, Sinti, yeah. Yeah, there's a huge population in that area. I might have to force you to do a Margali Sardish episode at some point. I'll like make you read all however many appearances she has and we'll just like fag out about Margali. I think that could be fun. I would be 100% for that, especially because we could talk about Amanda a lot. Yeah, which and I love Amanda. So I love her too. I mean, the looks alone, the fucking <laughs> pink and yellow hats. The hats are incredible. But so I'm sorry, yeah. I digress. You were in a communal situation for a while. Yeah, and then my parents separated. And my mother took me back to England to live with her family, who are very kind of like staunch Roman Catholic, Northern English, mm -hmm. party folk. And after that, a lot of my dad's family were kind of closed off for me, just in terms of distance at first. And then after I turned 18, my dad kind of stopped being a factor in my life. So that's a section for me of my life and my heritage, but I have no contact with right culturally you've been a little bit excommunicated and so it's difficult for you yeah so seeing it in fiction and seeing it represented is a touchstone for me mm -hmm. started getting into quicksilver when i was a teenager and the more i learned the more i read the more it became important to me that this character and the small handful of other characters were treated with respect because the ongoing problem of the Romani people in Europe is that there is no respect, there's a lot of suffering, and at the very least, could you make these fictional versions have 
dignity you know dignity, like you just yeah. you just want to see these people treated well and in part it's because the situation in europe i mean today as we're recording italy just elected a hard right <sighs> very scary government that's going to be a bad situation for the Romani people in Italy, for example. It absolutely, yeah. As a Jew, it's something that I'm very conscious of because I, I do feel like those two communities, and this is honestly why Pietro and Wanda were always significant to me when they were Eric and Magda's children. It's, a sh it's why it's such a shame to me that they're not anymore. But those two communities were the ones that were consumed in great numbers by the Holocaust or by the devouring, the parajmosis, the Romani call it. Yeah. And it was kind of that thing you always talk about, about Claremont bringing in German characters with Romani mm -hmm. characters. So manifesting that so literally in the Maximoff's parentage was an incredible way to achieve that. It's also a way that Jewish creators, I mean, teeny, my friend Teeny Howard, who I do, who you, yes, I know are a fan of, who is one of the few, I think only two writers of Romani heritage ever to write for Marvel Comics, like her and Shauna McGuire, I think are yeah. it. She and I have talked about this because one of the things that's interesting about Wanda and Pietro and Dr. Doom and a lot of other characters is that in the 60s, when the Jewish writers were not really, not allowed, but not really supposed to, it was seen as unseemly to have characters be Jewish in the story because the idea was that the general audience wouldn't respond to it. And also that religion was like not cool to talk about. So one of the ways that they got around that was you would have like, quote unquote, gypsy characters like Victor von doom or like wanda and pietro who through a romani experience were sort of evoking a jewish experience also the origin story we get for wanda and pietro is very like the pogroms in that area of eastern europe yeah it's a way of negotiating a lot of those crossovers and similarities and i think because those creators saw themselves in those characters, there is a dignity afforded to them, even if they're often in the case of characters like Wanda or Margali and Amanda or Megan associated with mysticism in ways that are a little bit stereotypical. There is a human dignity to them that you don't see in a lot of other pop cultural representations of Romani people. Exactly. That was the one thing that kind of struck me because for this, I've read almost every Quicksilver appearance. That's crazy. Thank you. It cooked my brain just a little. <laughs> but I was genuinely surprised by kind of the breadth of character they get, Pietro and Wanda, in the Silver Age, at least for the Silver I Age. I really like them in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. In the early X-Men stuff, which I find pretty dry, they are two of the more memorable characters, particularly because of the circumstances that they're in, in the Brotherhood. Like, yeah. the way that Wanda is sexualized by all the men around her is very... I mean, it even has kind of like an Esmeralda, Hunchback of Notre Dame kind of quality to it, right? Where it's like, this is the sexy Roma woman that all of these white men are projecting a fantasy onto. Yeah, and then you also get stuff like Quicksilver is effectively the powerhouse of the Brotherhood for so long. Mm -hmm. Like, he's their first salvo. Anytime they go up against the X-Men, Magneto's just like, go, boy, kill them! Sends Pietro in, and he rocks the X-Men shit a lot of the time. Yeah. 
it's only until Gene kind of levels up her telekinesis and starts realizing, oh, if I if I levitate you a little, you can't do shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's when he starts losing, when Gene realizes, oh, I can do useful things. If I make you float, there's not much you can do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then at the same time, Pietro is constantly just like, okay, Wanda, about this terrorist organization thing, I don't want to be here. We're killing people. He's killing people. He has crazy death rays. He's inventing a new death ray every week. We should leave. (laughs) And he becomes kind of this moral compass, which I think would shock a lot of people. It's a brief. Yeah, exactly. And like there's times when he stays behind escaping from a mission because he wants to defuse Magneto's bombs. He's constantly just having these moments of, okay, no, we need to leave. And Wanda's just like, no, Pietro, he saved my life. We are right, on we the bound can't to serve him. Possibly. This is the thing also that like part of what's so tricky now about attempting to square the circle within corporate bounds of that relationship is that the way it's sort of being framed now is that Wanda and Pietro are his adoptive children. But that's not really what the story was. They were working for him because he saved Wanda's life and she felt indebted to him. But the twist of the 80s reveal was that they were his long-lost biological children. He didn't raise them and he didn't treat them as though they were his children ever. It's just once they find out we have this blood tie, suddenly they'll have to negotiate a family dynamic. And now that the blood tie is gone, we're sort of trying to retrofit the family dynamic that fans are conscious of into a status quo that can exist moving forward, but it doesn't quite jive with the publication history. It becomes incredibly complicated, but I do think... At least with Pietro, it becomes a lot easier to kind of retrofit because so much of his characterization from the 90s onwards is defined by how he relates to Magneto. Yes. You can't make him not Magneto's son. It doesn't work. Like whether or not they're biologically related, they have to be father and son because otherwise, frankly, not just Quicksilver's stories, but a lot of Magneto's stories from the period also don't work. Yeah, like there's a stretch of about 10 years where all the villains are calling Pietro Magnus' son. Mm-hmm. The Acolytes come after him. Exodus comes after him. They're all after him because he's the Judas son of Magneto. Well, and after his daughter, because as the grandchild of Magneto without power, she's a blasphemy to the Acolytes. Right, and they want to eliminate that bloodstain on his lineage. Exactly. You also have the really bizarre thing to read now, which is Magneto Dark Seduction, when he and Polaris are working with Magneto on Genosha and trying to be his conscience. But the whole point of the story is that Pietro is Magneto's child and Polaris isn't. And now retcons have completely flipped that status quo and it's just very strange to read it. It really is. <laughs> like, I was just reading through all of this, just trying to, like, making my little notes, which have just gone to hell at this point, because trying to just line it all up, it's like, okay, so here Pietro's insane and Magneto's good. Then in the 90s, Magneto is pure evil. Pure evil. He tries to kill Pietro, and then he tries to kill Pietro, and then he tries to kill Pietro, 
and then he kills Pietro, <laughs> and then Pietro's crazy, and Magneto is good. Yeah. I, I, I... So I guess maybe the way that we should go, you know, we're not going to do this like we did last week with Kailan or the weeks previous with Lila Cheney and Farrell, where it's like, let's go over every single appearance, because that's simply just not going to work with a character who has appeared this many times. But I think that maybe a chronology is a good idea. Perhaps a chronology of his X-Men stuff. Exactly. We talked a little bit about the 60s. Pietro and Wanda debut in X-Men number four. It's a Lee and Kirby joint. They are part of the Brotherhood, as we said. They have joined the Brotherhood because when Wanda's hex power caused a fire in Eastern Europe, they were attacked and she was defamed as a Scarlet Witch by the townsfolk and Magneto came to their rescue. Pietro is very protective of Wanda. Wanda is kind of meek a little bit and shy and not really inclined to stand up for herself. She does eventually, like when Mastermind really pushes his lecherous behavior, go like shut the fuck up mastermind but it, it you have to push her yeah before she goes there and pietro is sort of hovering in part because we learn he made a promise to their parents who were killed in a, another pogrom right it a different a pogrom attack. yeah yes but they separate attack blanked out Right, they've blacked it out because it was too traumatic. This is all retcon stuff. Don't don't worry. <laughs> Eventually, in an Avengers story that we're not going to talk too much about, their father shows up and uses Romani magic to turn them into puppet people, and we get that Luke is making a face. The puppets. The fucking puppets. <laughs> I swear to God. Say, that is not a Chris Claremont joint. No. But in any case... What happens by the end of that sort of first brotherhood arc in issue 11, shortly before Kirby departs the book after 14, is, you know, Magneto and the Toad are carried away by the stranger, who's this cosmic entity, don't worry about him right now. The X-Men are like, well, Pietro and Wanda aren't evil, like they've been trying to do the moral thing. Do you want to join us in the X-Men? And the Maximoff twins are like, no, we want to go, you know, back to Transia, where we're from, which is like this made up European country next to Serbia and uh, live a normal life or whatever. But then like a month later, I want to say they see an ad that Captain America is looking for new members of the Avengers because Wasp and Ant-Man or Giant-Man, I believe he is at that point, yes. have left. So... He recruits out of the newspaper <laughs> Wanda and Pietro and Hawkeye, who are all former villains. And that's like a cute kind of little era of yeah. the Avengers where it's like, it's very Thunderbolts, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's like Cap and these three supervillains who he's rehabilitating. And that's where they are for a long time. Not that long for Pietro, though. Because eventually they bring back some of the original members and Pietro mm. is just out of there. Yeah, but it's like it's a good like year or two first, yeah, right? Yes, I wanna say. Yeah. 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 And they go but back think... to Transia for a minute again. They love to go back to Transia, which Transia, by the way, if you're not familiar, it was called Sokovia in the MCU, I think because they didn't want everyone to say transient people like over and over in a movie in twenty eighteen or whatever it was. Which is a wise choice. Yeah. Um but Transia is where Mount Wondegore is. So 
What is Mount Wondegore? What was the siege of Wondegore? Who is the high evolutionary? These are questions that may be slightly answered today, but not in depth, probably. Definitely not. We are not getting into high <laughs> evolutionary. Is not, this is not a high evolutionary podcast. Although my grand theory of what the deal is with Wand and Pietro's connection to Magneto does tie to the high evolutionary. But part of me is like, I should save that because Marvel should pay me for it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I have ideas of my own. Yeah. I don't know if Marvel is quite as ready to pay me yet, but... Well, we'll get there. You never know. I mean, day, I I do just think that it is conspicuous that the High Evolutionary's laboratory assistant was Zaladane, Polaris's sister. <laughs> oh, God. Was she? She was in Evolutionary War. Oh, God. That's two of her 12 appearances. My mind glazed over so much of the High Evolutionary stuff. <laughs> it was just like... The only... I actually... I could tell you literally nothing about the High Evolutionary except the fact that Zaladane, Queen of the Sun People, worked for him as a lab assistant. Okay, I like that. After Garak was dead. She needed, like, a new job. So now I'm like, well, who might have had Magneto's DNA lying around? Oh, I don't know. Zaladane. Yeah, it's in her blood. Call me, Marvel. You know where to reach me. But, like, if you want to trick Cerebro into thinking some people are Polaris's siblings... You use Saladin. Yeah, I mean, she's right there, and you're the high evolutionary. Anyway, this doesn't matter. Point is, Wanda and Pietro are sort of on and off Avengers for a long time. They get captured by Sentinels once or twice in the pages of X-Men. At one point, they go back to the Brotherhood because Wanda gets shot in the head. I actually did an episode of Grey Malkin Lane where we talked about that story. These are stories okay. that are really hard to reconcile with the Magneto we know now because... Magneto in the 60s is just like a fascist kind of Nazi-esque ubermensch figure who also is like very sexually lascivious toward Wanda himself in a way that is really off-putting now to read back. But it's yeah. because this association of them as family was not something that any of those writers were thinking about. So mostly it's just best to not worry about these 60s appearances Honestly, and that's one Mark Wade story from the 90s, which we shall never speak of. We don't need to talk about it. <laughs> we can just move on with that. But yeah, so after the 60s stuff ends, Wanda and Pietro are sort of more formally in the Avengers. That's when Wanda falls in love with the Vision, which Pietro finds really gross. I'm going to say... Pietro Maximoff was right. <laughs> Name one good thing that came from that marriage. I mean, for Wanda, not much, honestly. No. It was how the Vision learned about this thing called love and the human spirit and all of that. But then they broke him and he forgot all of that. It's true. I mean, he got it back, kind of. Like, I'm sure... You know, at in the some like point... late nineties, though, wasn't it? Yeah, he was White Vision for a while, where he, he was, was. Just, what is love? The Burn Avengers is crazy. It's insane. The amount of mental breakdowns Wanda had because of that marriage, whether directly or indirectly, Pietro was right. She should not have married that robot. I mean, okay, but I do feel like Pietro's judgment of people to marry is not super strong because. If we're going to judge marriages based on mental breakdowns resulting from the marriage, his marriage to Princess Cristalia Immaculin, I mean, Maximus the Mad possesses him and drives him crazy like 10 times. 
yes, that was not his fault. I'm going to say here and now, here and now, as Pietro Maximoff's defense attorney, that was not his fault. His friends and his family let him marry into a family of meth dealers. That is true, honestly. They're inbred. They live in the middle of nowhere. They're all about a series of rocks that they grow and inhale to experience special experiences once they come of age. And they named their fucking daughter Crystal. Yeah. They're meth dealers. And Pietro's friends let him marry into that. Someone should have stopped Pietro and just said, Pietro, you remember what you were saying to Wanda? Don't marry. Don't marry this Crystal. Don't marry this space alien. Right. I mean, I do feel like... The uh, the Avengers are not great at judging that kind of thing. I mean, between Wanda, Pietro, Carol, they're just not good at, you know... Any kind of mental intervention? No. They need a HR department. A bit that I had forgotten about, actually, that, I mean, by which I mean I had never read it, but I did some research for this episode. There's a bit in Avengers 102 way back when where the sentinels pop up and they want to prevent mutants from ever being born again and the way that they're going to do that is by kidnapping wanda and using her as the battery in a machine and it's just sort of this weird precursor to the decimation that i thought was yeah, really interesting spookily prescient mm-hmm and Pietro ends up like saving the day because he tracks down Larry Trask, who turns out to be a mutant himself in an and he ironic gets Larry twist. Trask killed. Yes, and himself crushed by a falling yeah. sentinel. And the Avengers kind of seal the doors on the place because they don't know he's in there. Right. And that's when Crystal <laughs> That's when in. Crystal comes to the rescue. Because she can sense drama. Yes. Like, that's literally the in-story explanation. She senses this kind of commotion and this drama and teleports to Pietro. Using her dog, Lockjaw, who teleports. Crystal, at this juncture, for people who are not familiar with Crystal the Inhumans, Crystal's power by, uh, just FYI, she controls all four classical elements. She's the Avatar from Avatar The Last Airbender. She also is... A messy bitch who lives for drama. That's really the only way one can describe her. I was crying at this bit from the Fantastic Four issue that catches us up on their relationship. We see Medusa and Crystal rescuing Pietro. And Medusa says, we've done all we can, Crystal. Come, the next few hours we'll tell the tale. And Crystal goes, no, I must be here. If he wakes, I feel responsible somehow. And the next panel... It says recovery was rapid and Crystal is looking at him holding a rose and like looking coquettish and goes, why don't you contact your fellow Avengers? Tell them you're alive. And Pietro says, not until my mutant powers return, but I haven't tested them in days. Perhaps they have come back. Perhaps. And he tries to run, but he's like too weak. And Crystal runs to him and goes, oh, Pietro, Pietro, dearest. And he says, I am all right, my dear. Darling, I, and then they start to make out. Crystal, at this point, the reason this is happening in Fantastic Four is because she is the Human Torch's girlfriend. Yep. <laughs> but there was a man on a deathbed, Connor. Which is drama. so hot. It's just so yes. sexy. She can't help herself, but now there's going to be problems, and all these men are going to fight over her. And if there's one thing Crystal hates, it's problems. And men she's, fighting she's over very her. Low she key, hates very no drama. That. He doesn't want any trouble. 
So Quicksilver and the Human Torch obviously then have to team up to save Crystal from Omega, which is like this cosmic entity formed from the anger. Do not, don't worry about it. Truly don't worry about it. It's crazy math in humans bullshit. Yeah, and then Crystal picks Pietro, and they get married, and uh, Quicksilver doesn't invite the Avengers, but the Inhumans invite the Avengers, including Wanda, so everybody shows up. The uh, wedding is attacked by Ultron, but, like, you know, don't worry about that either. The big thing is that the Wizard is excited about it because the Wizard has just been informed that he is Pietro and Wanda's father, uh, in the character file, I will try to break down the different retcons about their parentage. Good luck. Yeah, by I'll try, I mean we'll see. He's already met with Wanda, but he hasn't talked to Quicksilver yet. Then Wanda and the Vision get married, and the Avengers ask Pietro to come back and join them. And he's like, no, fuck you, because you're asking me to leave my happy marriage because my dumb sister married a robot. And, you know, whatever. So he lives on Adelan with the Inhumans, but they don't treat him with much respect because he's He's not an Inhuman. He's an outsider. And then there's a fun bit where the Collector, who you may recall from the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, as played by Benicio del Toro, tries to collect all the Avengers, which includes Pietro, and he gets kidnapped and at the end of the story basically like during the story he has to team up with one of the newer members of the avengers yakasta who is a robot oh and he's racist towards yakasta <laughs> and he has all these racist robot feelings because of his sister marrying a dirty robot so then moon dragon who's also on the team spins on him and is like honestly reading your thoughts that are like so robot racist is disgusting and she just rewrites his mind so that he's not racist toward robots anymore and hawkeye's like moon dragon you can't do that and she's like yes i can actually i just did where do you get off baldy treating someone's mind like a bathtub with a ring if you've hurt quicksilver and he says no hawkeye there was no pain it was more like insight she just opened his mind to all the reasons why one might not be racist against robots truly insane But that resolves the Wanda and Vision and Pietro problem because he doesn't care anymore that his brother-in-law is a robot. That's one way, I guess, to develop a character. Yeah, sure. Why not? Why not? And then at the same time, isn't Pietro also still under the influence of Maximus the Mad? That's when I think he starts acting super crazy. This is when their dad shows up as a puppet master. The Romani dad with like the puppet magic. Yeah, Django. Django, Maximoff. They meet Bova, the cow woman the High Evolutionary created, who was their midwife. Okay, but Bova, you have to love Bova. I, well, hmm. I like Bova, but this is another problem with the Magneto and them retcon, is that, like, now Bova lied to this man and told him that these were his children? Yeah, when What was that about, Bova? To be fair, Magneto did torture did her. Kick to get the the yeah. Did kick the shit out of Boja. Did kick the shit out of it. It's true. He threatened yeah. to flay her alive and hang her skin from the door. This was before Magneto was good, just to be yes. clear. Right before, actually. Quite honestly, part of the two things that make him decide to be good are like the trial of Magneto and Charles, like, promise me, Eric. And then also finding out that these two 
who he treated so poorly as his employees are actually his children. And finding out that Pietro has a daughter by this point. Yes, so he's I like, like, wow, Luna... I have a grandchild. Right, because by this point, Crystal has given birth to their daughter Luna. The combination, it is said, of mutant and inhuman genes produce an entirely normal human child. Which Pietro is upset about. Yes. Again, but Magneto Maximus doesn't care. Maximus the Mad. It does turn out that Maximus the Mad is infecting him or whatever. Maximus the Mad is Black Bolt's evil brother. He was Ramsey Bolton from Game of Thrones in the MCU Inhumans that they've... That's like the Star Wars holiday special of the MCU. They've buried it deep. Truly. Sorry, I'm just prefacing Maximus the Mad a lot to cover up the coming eventual... <laughs> And then Pietro abducted his daughter and subjected her to... Then Pietro abducted the baby and tried to subject her to the Terrigen Mist to give her superpowers. That's the Inhumans get their superpowers. He's convinced not to when Lockjaw, the dog, reveals that he once was a normal inhuman human and then the Terrigen Mist turned him into a dog. This has been retconned to not be true and to have been like a deception that the Inhumans did to, to Quicksilver, which is less disturbing than the idea that Lockjaw is a person that just is shaped like a dog. So, Yeah, honestly, yeah. Again, meth-laden, inhuman bullshit. It's insane. Quicksilver goes to Mount Wondegore and hires Bova, to be the nanny and then we get the vision and scarlet witch series that's fun where wanda invites Magneto to thanksgiving and crystal is cheating on quicksilver with the realtor who lives next door this is like a lot of the basis for wanda vision is besides like the tom king thing in house of m is this yeah where they move out into the suburbs and mm -hmm. try and have a normal life and wanda's pregnant yeah. And this is when they're attacked by the Toad. Go back to the Toad episode for more on that. I do think it's hysterical that Wanda doesn't actually tell Pietro that Magneto is coming to Thanksgiving. No. They just both show up. Yeah. So that's a fun surprise for him. And then he finds out that his wife is cheating, which is another fun surprise. And she, he finds out that she's cheating because Crystal, in order to make Crystal happy... Pietro has been trying to get along more with her family, so he's been serving with the Adelan militia. And has become a commander and a general, and is working his ass off. Right, and she's like, mm, that's not enough attention being paid to me. So she's bored. So she meets Norman Webster, who lives next to Wanda and Vision and is a real estate agent, she starts fucking him, and in order to maintain her affair with Norman, she keeps taking more doses of, like, the weird medicine that the Inhumans have to take to interface with humans. And eventually, she takes so much of it because she wants that human dick that she gets rendered comatose. Yes. And Pietro sits at her bedside for a month, and then her first words when she wakes up are, oh, Norman. And he flips out and attacks Norman Webster, which is very funny. Yes. <laughs> I also just always imagine that sequence of Crystal kind of hopping herself up on the immunity drugs to be like uh, Jesse in Saved by the Bell. Yes, the she's so pills. excited. She's so yeah. scared. I'm yeah. Like, I'm so scared. I feel like this is a great point to kind of plug that 
one brilliant Claire Napier article, by the yes, way. Yes, about Crystal being the messiest member of the and human most royal family. Fun. Yes. Yes. Crystal is a delightful character in part because of how messy she is in this exact period. Pietra is like, inhuman militia, arrest this man who is like committing adultery with my wife. And it turns out that Crystal's been like, no, protect him. And they all listen to Crystal instead of him. So now Pietra's like, wow, I really just get no respect, right? Yep. This is where a series of events take place that later will turn out to have been caused by Maximus the Mad infecting his brain. But he decides to like perjure himself to have the Avengers arrested for various crimes. He kidnaps Alicia Masters, who's dating the Human Torch. That will later turn out to be the Skrull Elijah Laserfist. Laser this is not a Fantastic Four podcast. He eventually tries to kidnap... Franklin, Franklin Richards, Richards and then he's like, oh no, this reminds me of my child. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, none of this super matters, to be perfectly honest. Pietro and the Inhumans don't get along, but he tries. He uh, tries. Eventually, Magneto turns evil again, and Pietro has joined the West Coast Avengers. And Wanda turns evil again. Wanda turns evil again because... He's possessed by Capone. Is this the third? Is it? Fifth? It's this is the one with Immortus. I don't this. Uh... Possibly. There... I think it's Cathan related. Yeah. Wanda has been possessed by a terrible evil so many times. It does become hard to keep track. Yeah, it's not great. No. The point is, despite a lot of time with his sister on the West Coast Avengers and a lot of time trying to patch things up with Crystal. Quicksilver's feeling pretty isolated both from the Inhumans and the Avengers, so he's in the right position to be recruited by Dr. Valerie Cooper for her new iteration of X Factor. She doesn't really recruit him though. He just kind of no, shows up. He and shows won't up. Go away. <laughs> you know, he's on the team by the time she does her press conference, but yeah, yeah. basically he's having Power problems. Power problems. Like, he's actually having the problems that will later befall the Generation Hope member Velocidad as, like, a natural part of his power, which is that when he uses his super speed, it starts, like, hyper-accelerating his metabolism and he starts rapidly aging. Turns out, eventually, that this is all an evil plot by Mr. Sinister and this U.S. senator who is secretly a mutant but is hiding it and has evil plans or whatever, but it doesn't super matter. The he comes to X-Factor, the new X-Factor, for help. And once that's resolved, he decides to work with them for a while as a member of the team. This leads into his longest tenure as an X-Men character. And I think now might be a good time to pause for the character file before we dig into that. Absolutely. Stay tuned. I will take you through Quicksilver's complete publication history from X-Men 4 up through the present, by which I mean we're going to skip over most of the Avengers stuff because I don't care. And then we will come back for more with Luke Ruddick. We will talk about 90s X-Factor. We will talk about Quicksilver's solo series in the 90s. We will talk about House of M and Son of M and X-Factor Investigations. We will talk about all new X-Factor, and then we will answer questions from listeners like you stay tuned we'll be right back x-men x-men 
Pietro Django Maximoff, better known as Quicksilver, was one of the founding members of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants alongside his twin sister Wanda, the Scarlet Witch. Created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, the Maximoff twins went on to become mainstays of the Avengers roster, rarely appearing in X-Men titles despite a retcon revealing them to be Magneto's long-lost biological children. In the 90s, however, Pietro returned to the world of the X-Men as a member of the government X-Factor team. After the decimation made the Maximoff's enemies to mutant kind, in Wanda's absence, Pietro became the face of that conflict for some years. Another tenure with an X-Factor team ended abruptly when a major retcon in the 2015 company-wide event Axis established that Pietro and Wanda weren't Magneto's children, after all. In the time since, the characters have been kept largely separate from the X-Men line of books. We're going to keep this one brief and brisk, just like its subject would want, because this is not an Avengers podcast. Pietro debuts alongside Wanda in 1964's X-Men number 4. The twins aren't as evil as their teammates and only serve with the Brotherhood because Magneto saved Wanda's life when angry villagers, afraid of her hex power, attacked her as a Scarlet Witch. Early stories establish the twins as native to Transia, a fictional Eastern European nation that is home to the mysterious Mount Wondagore, and as children to Django and Maria Maximoff, a Romani couple who were apparently killed in a pogrom. Pietro protects Wanda from the lascivious interest of Mastermind and the Toad, and they finally break free from their service to Magneto in X-Men 11, when he is spirited away by the cosmic entity called the Stranger. The X-Men invite the twins to join them, but they decide to return to Transia instead. Then they join the Avengers. This is not an Avengers podcast. The following year, in X-Men 27, during a trip back home to Transia, the twins are contacted by Professor X, who wants help fighting Factor 3. They are not interested. This is not an Avengers podcast. In 1968, Wanda gets grazed by a bullet and loses her memories and her powers, which compels Pietro to forsake humanity and rejoin the Brotherhood. He regrets this choice pretty much immediately and teams up with the Avengers, the X-Men, and their former Brotherhood compatriot, the Toad, to overthrow Magneto, who seemingly perishes. He gets better. Rather than return to the Avengers straight away, the twins decide to travel the world with Toad, which, sure... They return the following year as prisoners of the Sentinels, who've been reactivated by the late Bolivar Trask's son, Larry. Ironically, Larry turns out to be a mutant himself. It's not a great time for Larry, all told. The X-Men save the day, and Wanda and Pietro rejoin the Avengers. This is not an Avengers podcast. There's a Sentinel story in 1972's Avengers 103-104, though, where Pietro hunts down Larry Trask for help rescuing Wanda. In the ensuing battle, Larry is killed and Pietro is grievously injured. The Avengers, not realizing Pietro is trapped in the base, seal him inside. The following year, in the pages of Fantastic Four, he's rescued by Crystallia Amaquilin, Crystal for short, princess of the Inhumans, with whom he falls madly in love. They eventually marry. In 1974, a retcon establishes that Wanda and Pietro are actually the long-lost children of Robert Frank and Madeline Joyce, the Golden Age heroes The Whizzer and Miss America. When Madeline died in childbirth on Mount Wondegore, don't worry about it, and Robert fled in his grief, the High Evolutionary's cowwoman servant Bova entrusted the babies to Django and Maria Maximoff. In 1979, during an adventure where their adoptive father Django uses mysterious puppet magic to fight Cthon and dies tragically, again, don't worry about it, another retcon reveals that Bova lied to Robert Frank, whose child had actually been stillborn. Wanda and Pietro are in reality the twin children of a Romani woman named Magda, who fled her husband and also gave birth under Bova's care. Then she ran out into the wilderness and died of hypothermia, allegedly. Bova, possibly not that great a midwife? Anyway, readers of the X-Men are already aware that Magda was Magneto's recently introduced long-lost wife. 
This is not an Avengers podcast. But in the 1982 miniseries Vision and the Scarlet Witch, Wanda goes to the moon to meet Pietro and Crystal's newborn daughter Luna. Magneto arrives and explains to the twins that he's discovered he's their long-lost father. While Crystal allows him to hold his granddaughter, the twins reject him. Luna, meanwhile, is born without any superhuman traits because the inhuman and mutant genes have supposedly cancelled each other out. Pietro tries to expose Luna to the Terrigen Mist to give her powers, but Crystal convinces him not to do it, as the mists are unpredictable. This is not an Avengers podcast. In the 1986 miniseries, also called Vision and the Scarlet Witch, Pietro and Crystal attend Thanksgiving at Wanda's house. Wanda is pregnant by her husband, the Vision, with whom Pietro initially did not get along because he was racist against robots, but now things have chilled out. Wanda invites Magneto, which outrages Pietro, but after they fight off the Toad together, he's been stalking Wanda, the father and son make some sort of peace. Crystal, meanwhile, gets bored and starts having an affair with Wanda and Vision's neighbor, Norman, which leads Pietro to angrily abandon their marriage. This is not an Avengers podcast. In the 1987 X-Factor annual, Pietro, whose increasingly insane behavior is actually, it turns out, due to the manipulations of the evil inhuman Maximus the Mad, do not worry about it, kidnaps Franklin Richards at Maximus's behest. Pietro's quest to expose Luna to Terrigen is here retconned as one of Maximus's manipulations. Franklin reminds Pietro of Luna, which breaks the brainwashing. Pietro joins his sister in the West Coast Avengers. This is not a West Coast Avengers podcast. In 1991, in Peter David's relaunch of X-Factor, Pietro finds his speed power dangerously acting up. He tracks the culprit to Washington, D.C. to ask for help from the new government X-Factor team. It turns out Mr. Sinister's behind it, because, sure, but the end result is Pietro strong-arms his way onto the X-Factor team as a member. He then becomes a regular cast member in this title. After the franchise-wide event Executioner's Song, Pietro and his teammates are assigned therapy with Doc Samson in the famous issue Examinations. Pietro explains to Samson that he experiences the entire world in slow motion due to his power, and is constantly frustrated by everyone around him. He decides to continue meeting with Samson in an effort to learn better social coping skills. As part of his therapy, he decides to attempt a reconciliation with Crystal, and asks his boss, the bitch Val Cooper, for time off. Val grants the request and even books them a romantic cabin, but a reporter arrives at the cabin with photographs of Crystal and her Avengers teammate Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, with whom she's having a romantic affair. This puts the kibosh on the reconciliation and also marks Peter David's departure from writing X-Factor. Under new writers Scott Lobdell and J.M. DeMatteis, Val's revealed to have been possessed by the Acolytes in manipulating events to isolate Pietro from Crystal and from his teammates. The Acolytes are trying to convince Pietro, as Magneto's heir, to become their new leader following Magneto's apparent death. Pietro is horrified at the idea and refuses. When X-Factor discovers that Val is secretly working with the revived Project Wide Awake on new Sentinels, Pietro even defends her as he sees the threat the Acolytes pose. That said, he's aghast when she defends herself by claiming she was just following orders, a phrase that reminds him of the genocide his people's experience under the Nazi regime. Shortly thereafter, he takes a leave of absence from X-Factor and is recruited by Professor Xavier to take part in a suicide attack on Avalon, the Acolyte headquarters, in the franchise-wide event Fatal Attractions. Magneto is back and eviler than ever, and during their confrontation, Pietro blames Magneto for his own inability to be a successful husband and father. Magneto moves to kill him, but by the end of the battle, Xavier has forcibly wiped the Master of Magnetism's mind. This leads directly into Blood Ties, an X-Men and Avengers crossover in which rival Acolyte leaders Fabian Cortez and Exodus battle over the fate of Genosha, the former anti-mutant apartheid state now locked in civil war. Cortez kidnaps Luna and uses her as leverage to protect himself, but once Exodus gets a hold of the girl, he intends to kill her. He sees her lack of powers as an insult to the bloodline of her grandfather Magneto. The X-Men and the Avengers save the day, and Pietro returns to the Avengers titles to try and patch things up with his family. 
This is not an Avengers podcast. When Onslaught must be stopped in 1996, all the non-mutant heroes sacrifice their lives to destroy him. This includes Wanda, the one mutant to perish because only she can activate the spell, or whatever, and Crystal, who as an inhuman is not subject to the restriction on mutants from participating. Pedro is left with his entire family dead save his daughter, and he begins living at the Xavier Mansion. This brings him into close quarters with Joseph, apparently an amnesiac, de-aged version of his father, and the tension between them is too great. When Hercules comes calling, Pedro eagerly rejoins the Avengers for a bit. Eventually he quits and heads to Mount Wondegore with Luna, where he stars in his own Quicksilver solo series. Do not worry about it. The big thing to know is that Exodus is after Isotope E, a new discovery made by the High Evolutionary, and Pietro ends up all hopped up on it and supercharged. After the Siege of Wondegore concludes and the Avengers in Fantastic Four are back on Earth, Crystal and Wanda included, Pietro decides to travel the world and have kind of an eat-pray-love moment and leaves Luna with her mother. In Joe Pruitt's Magneto Rex, Pietro's approached by Amelia Vogt, one of Magneto's chief acolytes. She teleports him to Genosha, where Magneto's been granted sovereignty by the United Nations. Aghast at his father's draconian rule, Pietro decides to stay in Genosha and become part of Magneto's cabinet, acting as his father's conscience. In this capacity, he allows X-Force to defeat him and sees a magical brain in a jar from Genosha. Don't worry about that. He also visits Wanda to explain his rationale for appearing to side with Magneto. In the 2000 miniseries Magneto Dark Seduction, written by Fabian Niciesa, Pietro and his former X-Factor teammate Lorna Dane, aka Polaris, who has also been attempting to act as a voice of reason to Magneto on Genosha, realize that Magneto is intent on using experimental technology to become more powerful than ever before. Pietro and Lorna team up with the Avengers in an attempt to stop him, and end up exiled. They then begin running a people's resistance on Genosha. Magneto is later defeated by the X-Men, and Pietro rejoins his sister in the Avengers. This is not an Avengers podcast. In 2002's New X-Men 132 by Grant Morrison and Phil Jimenez, Pietro joins Professor Xavier in a visit to the ruins of Genosha, which was utterly wiped out in a sentinel attack coordinated by Cassandra Nova. There they find Lorna, naked and insane, who's been possessed by the magnetic imprints of the 16 million killed in the genocide. Magneto had stored their final thoughts on tape before his own apparent death. He gets better. Lorna and Pietro help compose a giant monument to their father, as Lorna has recently discovered, in a retcon, that Magneto is her biological father as well. In the 2005 company-wide event House of M, Pietro struggles to deal with the fallout of his other sister going crazy. Wanda's totally lost her mind and killed some of her fellow Avengers, and the X-Men and Avengers convene to decide what to do with her. Pietro's afraid they'll kill her, and in a panic he comes up with a plan to use Wanda's power to reshape reality into a better world. This creates the House of M reality warp, where mutants are in power and Magneto's family is absolute royalty. When the heroes begin to remember their true selves, they rebel against the House of M, and Magneto is repelled to learn what Pietro had inspired Wanda to do. He attempts to kill Pietro, and Wanda, driven over the edge once again, blames the very concept of mutants for everything that has befallen her family. No more mutants, she declares, attempting to erase the X-gene from reality. While Doctor Strange is able to combat the spell somewhat, 90% of all mutants on Earth are abruptly depowered, many dying as a result. Wanda disappears without a trace, leaving both her father and her brother depowered. This leads into the 2006 miniseries Son of M, written by David Hine, where Pietro becomes a drunk homeless vagrant in hiding from the other heroes. He's rescued from a fight with Spider-Man by Crystal, who takes him to Adelan for healing. He hopes the Terrigen Mists might restore his powers, but Black Bolt and Medusa refuse to offer him the opportunity. So Pietro sneaks into the caverns and exposes himself anyway. While his mutant power does not return, he develops a limited time travel power and teams up with his future self to bring Terrigen to Earth and give the decimated mutants new powers. 
He also exposes Luna to the mist, giving her eerie psychic abilities. But maintaining their new powers requires them to inhale the mist regularly. When Luna becomes addicted, Pietro has a moment of clarity and sends her home to Crystal. He then turns up in X-Factor, again written by Peter David and now centering around Jamie Madrox's detective agency in the now decimated mutant town neighborhood of Manhattan. Pietro has ground Terrigen and Crystals into his own flesh, giving him the ability to restore powers with a touch, but there are always horrific side effects for his mutant patients, which he blames on them being unworthy. X-Factor's teenage ally Layla Miller, who has knowledge of the future, knows Pietro is bad news. This ties into the Inhumans event Silent War, written by David Hine, where Layla manipulates Pietro into a meeting with the Inhumans in which Crystal announces she's annulled their marriage and will never let him see his daughter again. Back in Peter David's X-Factor investigations, Pietro sets up shop in Mutant Town and allies himself with the X-Cell, a group of decimated mutants who become a terrorist organization. He uses them as test subjects for refining his Terrigen process, manipulating decimated X-Factor member Richter into helping him. When members of X-Cell start exploding, Richter turns on Pietro and forces the Terrigen crystals out of his body, returning him to his depowered state. Devastated, Pietro contemplates murdering Layla Miller, but can't bring himself to do it. In the 2008 one-shot X-Factor The Quick and the Dead, also written by Peter David, Pietro is arrested as a vagrant and has a series of hallucinatory conversations with his loved ones. Struck by an epiphany, he declares his intent to be a hero again and suddenly, spontaneously regains his superpowers. Do not worry about it, especially because he immediately rejoins the Avengers, claiming all the evil stuff was done by a Skrull imposter. This is not an Avengers podcast. In the 2012 crossover Avengers vs. X-Men, Pietro sides with the Avengers because he is afraid the mutants will hurt Wanda. He punches Magneto in the face. The following year, in one of the final issues of Peter David's X-Factor investigations, Pietro intervenes when his sister Lorna has a manic episode and starts ripping apart a bar in Manhattan. Pietro is unable to calm her down and she gets arrested. A year after that, he joins Lorna's new corporate-sponsored X-Factor team in the new book All New X-Factor, still written by Peter David. Pietro joins under false pretenses, as he's actually been tasked with spying on Lorna for the Avengers, as Alex Summers, her ex-boyfriend, now part of the Avengers Unity Squad, is worried about her mental health. Pietro slowly grows uncomfortable with this double agent status, especially as he grows closer to Lorna. They bond over the case of Georgia Decay, mutant daughter of an anti-mutant bigot, who turns out to be adopted like they were. Pietro tells Alex he doesn't want to return to the Avengers, and isn't going to spy for him anymore. At a press conference to introduce the new X-Factor team, the group is startled by Fatal, a former member of X-Cell, who accuses Quicksilver of lying about being replaced by a Skrull imposter. Pietro decides to admit his deception and invites the authorities to do whatever they see fit. This act of bravery and honesty compels Luna to rekindle their father-daughter relationship with Crystal's blessing. Things are going pretty well for Pietro, finally, when Wanda accidentally reveals his prior status as a double agent for Alex to Lorna. Lorna is understandably upset, even when Pietro explains that he had already quit the Avengers gig to commit to X-Factor. This all turns out to be irrelevant because of the company-wide event Axis, in which the Red Onslaught, a combination of Onslaught and the Red Skull, do not worry about it, launches World War Hate! Wanda and Doctor Strange cast an inversion spell to save the day, but it briefly inverts the morality of various heroes and villains in the area. Wanda's one of those affected, and evil Wanda casts a spell to try and destroy her biological family. While Pietro is injured, Magneto is unharmed, revealing that apparently they were never his long-lost biological children in the first place. Pietro is troubled by the news that Lorna is not his sister after all, and in the final issue of All New X-Factor, he resigns from the team. He immediately joins Wanda on the Avengers Unity Squad, where it turns out they aren't mutants at all, but actually experiments created by the High Evolutionary. Bova lied to Magneto, I guess. This is not an Avengers podcast. 
In the 2018 miniseries Quicksilver No Surrender by Saladin Ahmed and Eric Wynn, Pietro is cast into an alternate timescape where the entire world appears frozen to him. Energy creatures native to this dimension begin taking Pietro's form and attacking people connected to him, and only by accepting his own trauma and embracing one of the mad doppelgangers is Pietro able to end the threat and return everything to normal. In the 2019 soft reboot, House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, Quicksilver is not one of countless mutants to become a citizen of the new mutant sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa because retcons have declared him not a mutant anymore. He turns up in the 2021 event, The Trial of Magneto, in which Wanda is killed and Pietro believes Magneto is responsible. He attacks Magneto and is comforted by Northstar. He then reunites with old Brotherhood comrades Toad and Mastermind to toast to Wanda's memory. We do not see Pietro's reaction to Wanda's resurrection at the end of the event, or to Toad taking the fall. That's his most recent appearance, but a new Scarlet Witch solo ongoing series by Steve Orlando and Sarah Pacelli is launching in January 2023, and perhaps her brother will pay a visit. But that comic likely won't be covered on this show, because... This is not an Avengers podcast. X-Men, X-Men. And we're back. How are you doing, Luke? I'm doing lovely. Slightly tipsy, so this is going to get... More chaotic as we go. <laughs> That's all right. That's perfectly okay. Form and content. Yeah, right. I mean, again, he's kind of a, a scatterbrain sort bitch. of guy. Yes. Right. We've gotten through a lot of the messy Avengers stuff, so that's nice. And we're now at the meat of Quicksilver's time as an X-Men character, which is Peter David's X-Factor. After he fully joins the team, one of the first stories is the one that I've talked about a few times on the show most recently in the Wolfsbane episode which is about Dr. Tucker's abortion clinic yeah this is a really interesting story for Pietro actually and it shows that David sort of knew what and we'll get into the Peter David of it all later in the episode absolutely but David knew his stuff about the character because basically to recap what the story is about there's this doctor dr tucker who is a geneticist and i guess obstetrician who is running <laughs> tests on fetuses on pregnant women and their unborn children that he claims can detect whether the child is a mutant and then parents are given the option to abort the child if they so choose this is playing on a lot of contemporary debates that were happening in the 90s about amniocentesis and other tests that could tell you if your child would have, for example, Down syndrome or other genetic disorders. Yeah. Peter David kind of did this a lot with X Factor in that time, where it was commenting on very off-the-time political issues. Exactly. And here it's about disability politics and abortion. Yes. It's an interesting story. Dr. Tucker is also notable in that he is Tempo's father. And this is the story that Tempo guest stars in an X Factor because she tries to contact him to warn him that the Mutant Liberation Front is going to assassinate him. And he blows her off because he's an anti-mutant bigot. I really like this story. It's a great story for Tempo. It's a great story for Wolfsbane. And the yeah. thing that's interesting for Pietro is Val allows the X Factor members to opt out of protecting the clinic if they have a moral objection to what's going on. And Pietro says that he won't be party to it because the 
idea that these parents would abort their mutant children reminds him to his great shame of his own of disappointment Luna. when Luna did not have powers. Right. He sees in himself that idea of judging your child based on what they are and not who they are mm -hmm. and doing it at a point before they've really even developed into who they are going to be. And he's like, and that was wrong. And I can't countenance what these parents are doing. And so I would like to stay out of this mission and the request is granted, which I think is an interesting bit for him. It definitely is. Yeah. And it starts to become a bit of a pattern for him where he will start to recognize his past mistakes, own up to them, and say, like, that was shitty of me. I have to learn from this. I am trying to learn from this. I'm not going to lie about my past mistakes. Yeah. Which crops up a few more times in the run, I think. Exactly. And that is a thing that I think is sort of consistent about this character when he's written well, is that while he does a lot of fucked up things, although I will grant, I must grant, in the way that the Warbs are always saying, well, Wanda didn't mean it. She was influenced by Cathan or by Pietro or by XYZ number of things. Pietro is also constantly being mentally manipulated by Maximus or by Isotope E. Like there's always something impacting his behavior. Yeah. There is something to be said a little bit it's mostly been analyzed as a sexist trope, the way that Wanda's not in control of her actions a lot of the time. But I do think that the two of them as like ethnic outsiders are often made irrational and sort of primal and mystic in that way and easily led. Yeah, like Wanda falls to the mysticism and gets wrapped up in that. Pietro falls into his temper. Mm-hmm. Like he's always quick to fly off the handle. He's, fiery. he's very easily yeah, which is obviously a stereotype, a stereotype right. assigned to many ethnic groups, mm -hmm. and it's not great. But it's very much that, like, othering vibe of, like, it's almost like a Latin lover thing, you know? Or, like, Carmen, yeah. like, the way that Carmen writes Romani characters, that idea of... Fiery blood, exactly. uncontrollable. Exactly. I mean, it's even right down to his powers. Mm -hmm. He can't control himself because he's too fast. Too fast, right. This is when Crystal joins the Avengers, the Bomber Jacket Avengers. So it's a funny yes. bit of, like, their relationship is funny playing out in these two books because they're not in the book together, but they cross over occasionally. This is when Crystal is trying to fuck the Black Knight, Dane Whitman. Yeah. And successfully fucking the Black Knight, Dane Whitman, to be perfectly honest. Until Cersei steps Until in. Until Cersei steps in and takes her man, which turnabout is fair play, Crystal. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the big thing that's interesting here is that Crystal and Quicksilver find out that the Acolytes are concerned about Luna because they think that Luna being Magneto's granddaughter, but being a homo sapien with no mutant power is a blasphemous abomination. Yeah. 
I think that's also skipping ahead a little bit, though, because isn't that mostly after Fatal Attraction? Blood Ties is the big thing where they, like, kidnap her, but it's a moment where they start to, like, talk about it. And then we get, after Executioner's song, Examinations, which is the really big Quicksilver scene that I think a lot of people point to. I know you love this scene. I really do. Examinations is framed as the team having to go to Doc Samson for counseling after a traumatic event. And Pietro is initially very dismissive of it, which is in his nature, until um, Samson brings up a comment he's gotten from Dr. Valerie Cooper. From Val. (laughs) Yes, that bitch. (laughs) The bitch Val Cooper. Where she talks about Pietro's PMS. Pietro Maximoff Maximoff syndrome. syndrome. It is one of the girl bossiest comments you could make is that your male employee has PMS and you're making like a joke about I love that. It's a great characterizing bit for Val, actually. It absolutely is because it's such a shitty thing to say. And it's all about how Pietro is touchy. He's sarcastic. He's easily annoyed. He's temperamental. And through, I think, just three pages, Pietro very concisely sums up the struggle of his powers because he talks to Doc Samson about have you ever been in line just wanting to buy some stamps on your lunch break and the person in front of you wants to know how to mail one piece of mail to bus Novia or something mm-hmm. or being stuck in an ATM and the person in front of you doesn't know how to work it and how that slows down your day and leads to irritation and then Pietro just reveals That is my life constantly. I am always experiencing the world around me that way. At a snail's pace. Everything around me is that he makes a little jigsaw puzzle of a snail, which is cute. Yes. This issue, which is is really famous, it's issue, it's X Factor 87. It's drawn by Joe Casada, actually, who will go on to be the Marvel editor in chief. But Pietro has this great like sneer. The art is incredible Mm -hmm. for how it captures just the expressions. And Pietro just gets a sneer as he explains, like, it's not fair. It's not right to be angry at these people, but it is natural. And this is my life. He holds up the snail puzzle and he says, your entire world is filled with people who can't work cash machines. I venture to say, doctor, that you too would suffer from PMS. Get the picture? Not so puzzling now, is it? This is to me, like, when people say... And I get this a lot, not as much as you must, I imagine, but I get this a lot when people are like, how can you like Pietro at all? He's such a shit. I'm like, I get that. But have you read Examinations? Like, I would find that really difficult. I mean, I'm a New Yorker. I'm walking here. I don't like when people are walking slow in front of me. Lou actually apologized to some people at Disneyland (laughs) because I was walking too fast. Oh no, you New Yorked the most magical kingdom on earth. I didn't mean to. We were like, it was the happiest place on earth, the most magical place on earth is Disney World. Excuse me. I'm now, I'm fully, I will never be a Disney gay, but I am now maybe a Disneyland gay. I had a magical, magical, happy, wonderful time. That's wonderful. Well, I create the the real problem, and this is how they get you, is they have this pineapple soft serve there called Dole Whip that only exists at Disneyland. And I now crave it with everything in me. There's all kinds of options. And I now need it every day of my life. But it it is only for sale at the Dole Tiki Hut 
at Disneyland. And so I will return and spend way too much money because I crave this soft serve ice cream. I bought like regular pineapple ice cream. I was like, I'm trying to like satisfy the urge, but it's just not quite the same. No, it was really not. Anyway, but yeah, at one point we were leaving Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and I was just like walking briskly and he was like, excuse him, he's from New York, he walks really fast. And I was like, I'm walking normal. Okay, A, that is a perfect Lou impression. It's fine. He's just like, he's from New York, he's just walking. Sorry, sorry. And I was like, no, actually, this is a regular pace to be walking at and nothing (sighs) weird is happening. And I just want to get out of Batu and over to Space Mountain. It's not that weird. But it's fine. And find somewhere to sit down. Exactly. It was very hot. I needed to reapply my sunscreen. Anyway, the point is, I identify with Pietro a lot in this issue. I think it's a good... It's also like... I know that like a lot of people talk about like Pietro Maximoff or any speedster character really as like ADHD identification. And this is very that. Yes. Especially because the capper of the issue as well, sitting down with Doc Samson just to go over each character. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, yeah, Pietro, he's an asshole for no reason. And you've just seen this perfect summation of why Pietro is the way he is. It's one of the biggest indictments of Val is actually that Doc Samson is like, so I read all your profiles on these people and then I sat down with them and you're wrong about all of them. That's really, and she is also a psychologist herself. So he's like, wow, like really bad job, Val. Yeah. And then she gets captured by a tentacle monster that infects her mind and turns her into a slave of the acolytes. And she becomes evil. Evil. A slightly more noticeable way instead mm-hmm. of being subtle instead way. Instead of just being like evil. regular evil, right. But one thing that's actually notable, and this this comes up later on, is that while the others do kind of this one-off session with Doc Samson, Pietro starts going regularly and eventually Samson's like, you need a hobby? And Pietro takes up sculpture yeah. as like a way to by himself be as fast as he wants to be and just like make things. And he also starts communicating with Crystal, like, hey, I've been seeing a therapist. Mm-hmm. He's been talking to me about how I need to change this. But let's... Initially, but let's... <laughs> yes. Let's not bury the lead. First. Initially, he says, I've been seeing someone. And Crystal assumes, oh, oh, I suppose that's only natural. Who is she? And he goes, oh, it's he, actually. And Crystal's like, oh, that explains a lot. Yeah. Oh, oh, so you're... And then Pietro was like, and Brown's seeing him too. She's been making great progress. Right. Wait, I'm sorry, he's seeing Rain too? Yeah, he's a therapist. And she thought that he was coming out to her, which is very, yes. very funny. Yes. I will know also one thing that I vibe on as a firm believer in Pietro Maximoff being bisexual. Mm-hmm. There's a moment where Doc Sampson is asks him if he has any connection to anyone on the X-Factor team or any affection towards any of them. And that gets Pietro to shut down completely. Mm-hmm. And it's this long panel where you get a lot of space dedicated to Pietro's silence, which I think is significant. And then you kind of look at the X-Factor lineup and it's like, okay, Lorna, who is his sister, although he didn't He doesn't know, know that, but they never have like a sexy vibe. No. Rain, who... He doesn't really seem to like that much. Or at least he sees her as a child. Mm-hmm. Madrox, who he fucking hates. 
strong guy who he fucking hates. And Alex. And then Havoc, who he kind of hates a lot less than the rest of X Factor. And is intrigued by, yeah. Yeah. Like they have Pietro snarks at Alex and gives off his sarcastic little one liners. But he never tells Alex that he's completely pathetic and a waste of space and Mm -hmm. why won't he just die like he does with Madrox the strong guy. Because that's very much Pietro's role on the team. He's the bitch. He's got no tact. He's the feral of 90s X Factor. He's the one who, you know, is the antagonist within the team who's mean to everybody. But he is less mean to Alex in a way that you could interpret that is that he is a little bit horny for Alex Summers. Which aren't we all? Yeah, I certainly am. And it's a thing that I have to face and deal with every day. Anyway, (laughs) there's then a moment, this is funny, where Pietro's like, listen, Val, my wife and I are having a lot of marital problems. And Val, (laughs) he's like, can I take some like shore leave to go hang out with her? And Val actually is like, absolutely. Because Val, of course, has been through a divorce from Mr. Sinister. Maybe complicated. Go back to the Val Cooper episode. Val's been through a divorce. She knows how hard like marriage can be. She actually books them a cabin to like go have a vacation at. But because she's also possessed by the Acolytes now, she tells the Acolytes what's going on. And one of them shows up pretending to be like a reporter from the National Enquirer. Who's gotten paparazzi photos of Crystal and Dane making yes. out. And he's like, and I have much more explicit photos I can show off or whatever. And uh, Pietro punches him right in the fucking face. And it's like, if these pictures ever see print in your magazine, I will fucking kill you with my bare hands. But that puts a damper on the potential reconciliation vacation with Crystal. It really does. But I will say that moment when he confronts the journalist slash MLF acolyte guy in disguise is chilling. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't just say, I will kill you with my bare hands. He goes on to give examples like, perhaps your car will spin out while <laughs> going at high speeds. Perhaps you'll get into a pileup. Perhaps you'll drive off the road. There is no stopping a man with speed in his legs and anger in his heart. Yeah, it's good. It's like, oh, your your power is actually incredibly scary. It's a good Magneto kind of moment, honestly. Yeah, which I honestly always enjoy. The moments when you can see Magneto's kind of ruthlessness and cunning coming through pietro mm-hmm. either as a good or a bad trait it's always so compelling in a story absolutely and i think you see that a lot throughout early x factor like um the rhapsody mission he goes on with um, yeah Netflix. talk about that a little yeah when they have to um they get sent to this backwater case where they're investigating rhapsody and working with the local police And Jamie is just kind of very jovial with the police. He's joking around. He's being Jamie Matrox. He's making a comedy show of it. And Pietro backs him up in front of the police. And then as soon as they're alone, Pietro just turns to him and says, what the fuck is wrong with you? Do you have no shame? Mm -hmm. Do you have no dignity? Those police are going to railroad that girl because she's a mutant. They have no trust for us. They have nothing but contempt for us. 
we do not. We don't joke with them. We don't pal around with them. We do everything in our power to prevent them from killing this mutant girl because that's what they want to do. Basically, he just gives an old cops of Estes speech. Yeah, which is interesting from someone who's been an Avenger for the last 20 years of publication. Right, but it's because he's keenly aware of how mutants are viewed in the world. Mm-hmm. And it kind of also ties into his heritage as a Romani man, because Romani people, as a rule, tend to be keenly aware of how prejudice against them still exists. And how police are not going to take them seriously. Right. Like, for instance, um, there's been a lot of reports of uh, refugees fleeing from the Ukraine recently mm-hmm. and Romani refugees having trouble settling in other areas because it's viewed as a problem. And I think making Pietro ever conscious of how the world views him as a mutant and of how the world views him as a Romani man is a brilliant piece of characterization. And the fact that he's just so angry about it. And it's a nice way of linking the Romani experience to the mutant metaphor. I mean, at this stage in his publication, he's definitely a mutant character. So it's one of the many ways that that gets underlined. And yeah, I mean, the thing that I think a lot of American people don't understand is like you look at those stories out of Ukraine And it's like the two groups of refugees that are really getting a lot of shit are black people and Romani people. Because as you demonstrate yourself, the visual phenotype can vary enormously. Yeah. But the idea of Romani people as this scary, threatening racial other is so strong. And so I think it's important for him to bring that experience to bear in these stories and what's interesting about it also is that you have then right after that characters like fabian cortez the acolytes who are these sort of eugenicist characters in magneto's absence approaching him to be this is like at the very end of peter david's run on x factor to be like, you are there. the son of Magneto. You should inherit leadership of our group and all of this stuff. And there's this very interesting bit that I find, I'd be interested for your take on it. Is this Project Wide Awake? Mm-hmm. They find the Project Wide Awake secret base. The Sentinel Development Program has whipped up again and the rest of x factor is really pissed at val about it pietro's like honestly though i get why the government would make sentinels the acolytes are fucking crazy and how else are you going to stop these people with incredible powers it's interesting for it to be him who says that i think in that way he's kind of playing devil's advocate because there's also the moment later in that scene he points out I understand the human impulse to protect themselves because there's the MLF, there are acolytes, there are lots of violent people coming for them. But then once Valerie kind of explains, like, this was coming through the government. Well, once she says, I was just following orders, which is explicitly a callback to the Nazis. Yeah, he turns on her and he says, that's exactly what they said when they were persecuting Magneto's people. And then he corrects himself and he says, my people. Mm -hmm. 
and any kind of bond he possibly could have had with Val Cooper evaporates in that moment because he leaves the team shortly afterwards. Yeah, he's done. Yeah, he takes, like, I think, a leave of absence, and then creative teams change, and he shuffles out. Well, it's after, basically, first, the thing that happens right after that is Fatal Attractions, right? So, like, that's when Magneto comes back, he takes charge of the Acolytes, and Professor Xavier asks Pietro, who has just taken a leave of absence from X Factor because he's pissed at Val, Xavier's like, would you join my X-Men Strike Force to attack Avalon. Not his strike force, his suicide team. Well, sure, yeah. I mean, it's they don't think they're going to get out. No. Like, they leave behind Storm and Cyclops and a lot of the other X-Men because they're just like, when this goes wrong, we're going to need people here to lead the X-Men. Mm-hmm. So Pietro signing up for a suicide mission to try and appeal to his father or to try and stop him is very interesting to me because that's a huge moment. Pietro goes in there. He talks a lot to Magneto. He tries to talk him down. He attacks him. And Magneto flips. He is legitimately about to kill Pietro. And that's kind of the inciting incident for the big thing of Fatal Attractions because that's when Wolverine leaps in And Magneto rips the adamantium from his bones. And Wolverine literally declares it like, this is the point where you've gone too far. You're trying to kill your own son. And he leaps in for a killing blow. And Magneto, in turn, rips his adamantium out. And from that, the professor wipes Magneto's mind completely and leaves him effectively comatose. Yeah, I mean, go back to the uh, Xavier episode where Spencer and I really dig into that event. But... It's a really big deal, and the fact that Pietro is part of it. I want to read a little bit of the exchange between them. Magneto says to Pietro, Time and time again, upon learning you and your sister Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, were my children, the children of my beloved lost Magda, you have been offered the opportunity to stand by my side, as was your right, as would have been my joy. And Pietro says, and what a wonderful father you would have made, Magnus, forging your children to sit subservient to your whims, unable to even think for themselves, as you looked into the iron in their bloodstreams and molded their very thoughts. We missed out on so much by losing your parental guidance, didn't we? Eric says, perhaps I did wrong by you and your sister, Pietro, but I loved your mother more than life itself, and I do not need you to blame me for things I so freely blame myself. But consider this, you have done equally wrong by me as well, my son. By rejecting my offer, you reject my hopes, my dreams, my chance to pass along an inheritance of mutant freedom onto you and my descendants. And this is the thing that, again, like, Wanda and Pietro as the children of the Holocaust, I think, was a really important thing. And it's just a shame to lose it because this specific desire on Magneto's part is like in this story, Magneto is unquestionably a bad guy. He's doing bad stuff. The editorial mandate of the time was Magneto should be a villain. Yeah. But he's still speaking from this place of trauma. Yes. And of like, 
they tried to wipe us out, but they didn't. And you are my children and you are supposed to carry on a legacy and you have rejected me. You are my child and you are working for that bitch Val Cooper. Yes. Yeah. Like, I don't want to say you can see Magneto's side because he's fully but off you the can, deep end. Though. But you can. Yeah. Like he's crazy in that story, but you can kind of see where he's coming from with regard to Pietro and Wanda, who he sees as ungrateful. Now, if you're Pietro and Wanda, again, he didn't raise them. He treated them like shit when they were his minions. Why would they treat him like he's their father? But to him, with the history of oppression and genocide and trauma upon him, he's like, now that we know, now that we know that you were born of my wife, how can you reject me? They can, and they do, and Xavier wipes his brain and kills him, essentially, for quite some time. He doesn't come back until after the whole Joseph plot and everything else. And onslaught and stuff. Yeah. After Fatal Attractions is Blood Ties, which is a crossover between the X-Men and the Avengers that Pietro factors into because Crystal is on the Avengers and Pietro is X-Men adjacent. And Luna involves gets kidnapped. Luna getting kidnapped. Cortez kidnaps her from the Avengers mansion. Uh, during the civil war in Genosha that he has sparked between the new mutant supporting government and the racist human population of Genosha that's all spinning out of Extinction Agenda. And then Exodus getting, gets involved. Yes, and Exodus is really nasty about their, you know, abomination human child that is a shame, a, a stain on... Because Exodus at this point is sponge-bathing brainless Magneto up on yeah. Avalon. So he's, like, really devoted, and he's like, I'm Magneto's real son, and you guys are disgusting, you know, so Cortez, traitors. Pietro and Luna are kind of pawns in the game he's ever playing. To Exodus, they are actually sacrilegious figures. Yes. Because he is building Magneto into a god, and Pietro is the fallen son, and Luna is the corrupted fruit of the fallen son. So it kind of escalates. It really does, but it all turns out okay in the long run. Yes. This is where Exodus and Cersei come face to face after their previous confrontation in the medieval period when Cersei killed his boyfriend. Uh, go back to the Exodus episode <laughs> <laughs> for more on that. After Blood Ties, Quicksilver, who is fully out of uh, X-Factor at this point, this is the Demetrius period leading into the Mackie period, but he goes over to become sort of a supporting character in Avengers. He's yeah. living at Avengers Mansion with Crystal and Luna trying to sort of put their family back together, but Crystal has fallen in love with Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, so that's a problem until the Black Knight and Cersei are cast through time and space together, which will lead eventually to their medieval times encounter with Exodus. With him gone... Crystal and Pietro kind of start to rekindle their relationship. That's when Bova. <laughs> oh, Bova. 
that's when Bova, the Bova is a cow woman, by the way. Yes. I don't know if we've said this yet. Bova is a humanoid cow created by the High Evolutionary. She's one of the new men, which are animal-human hybrids that the High Evolutionary created on Mount Wondagore. Bova then falls ill. And Quicksilver and Crystal go to Wondagore to see her. And she's like, I just want to see the High Evolutionary again before I die. So, uh, you know, they're like, let's arrange that. But it all turns out it's a trap launched by Exodus because Exodus wants the Isotope E, which is this thing that the High Evolutionary has been developing. Don't worry about literally any of this. No, don't. I mocked you so much about how we were going to have to go over the Siege of Wondergore. And now we're here. And now we're here, and I regret it so much. And you're not happy about it, are you? Because it's not fun to talk about. Can we go back to Onslaught, please? Because we've skipped ahead. We're going to do Onslaught first. No, 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 no. Boba's dying first. Oh, right. Yes. (laughs) yes. Then there's Avengers The Crossing. Oh, God. Let's get to Onslaughts. Let's yeah, get the okay, onslaught. So Avengers the Crossing, there's some time travel where we meet some potential future children of, of Pietro and Crystal, but this won't matter because they don't actually get back together. No. And then we get to Onslaught where Crystal is among the... It's actually very funny. When Reed and Tony and whoever else are like, to defeat Onslaught, all of us have to sacrifice our lives, but mutants can't because this is leading into Heroes Reborn. The idea at Marvel at the time was we're going to separate out Fantastic Four and Avengers into their own universe and like reboot it and actually let Rob Liefeld be in control. Um, Hmm. Google Heroes Reborn for more on that. See how that works out. But Quicksilver's like, well, that sucks, but I'm glad that my wife won't be sacrificing herself. And then she's like, no, Pietro, he said mutants can't participate, not inhumans. And then she sacrifices herself as well and is like, take care of our daughter. I love you. Remember me or whatever. She also smacks the crap out of him to do it. She's like, oh, Pietro, you never listen and hits him with an elemental blast. She blasts him with like a torrent of water so that he can't stop her from doing it and wanda also dies with the heroes reborn because she's an avengers character her chaos whatever yeah, creates she the wraps herself in a hex field whatever so pietro and luna are now left behind with no one else in the world and he becomes a supporting character in x-men stuff briefly because he decides to stay with her at the X-Mansion because the Avengers Mansion is now, like, completely abandoned. He actually leaves Luna with Jarvis and then goes to the X-Mansion on his own. Oh, that's right. He's like, okay, I can't tell my kid her mom has died. So I'm just not going (laughs) to see my kid for a little while. And I'm going to go live with Scott and Jean because he moves into the lake house with them. Yes, and that's when he meets Joseph. Which is very interesting for him because he's initially well they're about the same age right and like joseph as far as anyone knows at that moment is a de-aged amnesiac magneto that's what everybody believes joseph to be uh later retcons will establish him as a clone but at the time that's what the deal is and they end up like working together a couple times and uh trying to you know, be friends or something. Pietro just cannot bring himself to be friends with Joseph. Like he tries and he tries. It's too weird. 
And then at one point, I think Joseph is over the moon about an invention he's made that will allow him to touch Rogue. Mm, yeah. And Pietro just kind of snaps and he's like, that's what you're happy about? You've killed so many people. You've done so many horrible things. And you're just excited to fuck Rogue? Yeah. Great. There's also, I think, a really great moment of Pietro characterization in that little period where he and Jean are talking and he's kind of slowly coming out of his shell to express his grief and talking about how Crystal is gone and he's mourning. And Jean comes in just to, you know, wrap her arms around him and give him a bit of a hug. And it's a moment of genuine affection. And then the door opens and someone comes in. And using his powers, Pietro is up quick as anything, setting the table and completely closed down again. And it's just this wonderful recurring beat of like, I have trauma, I should deal with it, but no one can see, no one can see, no one can ever see that there's something wrong with me. No one can see I'm sad. Yeah. So the Joseph thing doesn't work out and Pietro ends up rejoining the Avengers when Hercules shows up, which is like classic Pietro bottom behavior. And then... We would all get on that plane with Hercules. I get it. I get it. I'm not even. Never mind. But that's I. I would. I would be tempted to 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 check it out. You were about to say you're not even a Hercules fan, but that has changed recently. No, that's 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 not what I was going to say. Oh yeah. Okay. No. no. Anyway. Uh, so he's with, um, the new Avengers that have reformed for a little bit, but he ends up getting really upset because everybody's blaming mutants for the fact that the Avengers died to give an onslaught. And so he runs away to Mount Wondagore, which is where the Quicksilver solo series begins. I have regrets. Yeah. You made me do this. You made me do this. He entrusts Luna to Bova, who's like, I'll watch her. And he becomes Sir Pietro of Wondagore, knighted by the High Evolutionary, leader of the New Men and the Knights of Wondagore, as Exodus and the Acolytes attack Mount Wondagore to try to claim Isotope E, the new invention that boosts powers that the High Evolutionary has made that Exodus is after. Exodus is using as his agents, in addition to the Acolytes, the team of legacy sufferers that have been mentioned a couple of previous episodes like the pyre episode and the feral episode and also fenris and also fenris <laughs> come back next week for more on that oh, uh, <laughs> i, I can't tell you how episodes. many times i have i know i can't tell you how many times i have had to look at the siege of wondagore in the last several months just because it's a complete coincidence that based on the characters that i've been covering i'm just revisiting this fucking quicksilver book over and over and over and fucking over. I mean, you kind of got that with X Factor Investigations too, didn't you? You got like a string of characters in a row where you I just know. had to keep going back. And that's why I've waited so long to do Strong Guy because I'm like, I just don't want to dip back in. I'm I like, don't I don't want to do it again, but I'll have to. Season season four, I think, we'll have a Guido episode. But anyway. This is where the Knights of Wondagore form up. This is Pietro and a bunch of furries. Yeah, they are all animal people. <laughs> There's like Tiger the Tiger, Ursula, no, Lady Ursula the Bear Woman. There's Lady Vermin, who is actually just the rat. 
Like everyone else is an <laughs> animal person, and Lady Vermin is a tiny rat. Yes. With a little like speaker on her back that she speaks out of. Yeah, it's cute, honestly. And she can bite people and give them poison. Did you know that in the Spider-Man cartoon, they made her into a sexy rat? No. They made a Spider-Man cartoon where he goes to an alternate dimension and he, I think, either leads or fights the Knights of Wondergore. And Lady Vermin becomes a sexy rat lady. She's like an actual fairy. I love that, honestly, for her. I mean, yeah, sure. She deserves to be a little sexy if she wants to in an alternate cartoon universe. And then there's like a dog person who dies heroically, a horse person who dies heroically. A lot of these animals die for Pietro. It's... Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of like anything else X-Men related that we need to talk about. And there's not a ton before the siege of Wondegore. Uh, the Black Knight is involved. Crystal, oh, about the Heroes Reborn ends. Yes. And all the Avengers come back to Earth. Crystal comes back. And they're all alive. And Crystal comes back. And Crystal is actually like, I think she's just been, I, I gotta be real. I haven't read Heroes Reborn stuff since it came out in the 90s when I was a kid. I just guess Crystal and the Black Knight have now broken up or he was with Cersei or he was something, with Cersei or... and in the Heroes uh, Reborn universe Crystal was a Fantastic Four character so That's she right. got her romance with the Human Torch Renew right so and now Pietro, she's like yeah. you know so Pietro and the Black Knight start dueling literally because Pietro's learned to sword fight now <laughs> over Crystal and it eventually ends with Crystal just saying I don't want to see either of you yeah, join. I'm actually like, I'm sprung for the human torch right now. So I'm going to leave. And she takes Luna and like heads back to Adelan. You know that a storyline is about to kick into gear when someone takes the baby. Yes. Gets like... it out of harm's way. <laughs> yeah. It should all be no also be noted in terms of Crystal and Pietro me messiness throughout the series. The narrative device used for all these issues is Pietro narrating letters to crystal that he records onto mini discs which is yes. how you know it's truly in the 90s because he's got a yes. mini disc player that he gives it's to very crystal. like it's very like ken burns document like dearest crystal it yes. has been four weeks since my last letter i think it's like he calls them the crystal logs or something crystal mm. log 009 crystal my love burning them onto little cds Yes. Then Exodus shows up. <laughs> okay. This is where I think he brings in his like legacy strike force. Yes. Of legacy patients. Who he strands in the Savage Land. Yes. And it turns out that all the um, isotope E energy is coming from the Savage Land because the High Evolutionary has fled there. I will point out the High Evolutionary's base in the Savage Land is where Zaladane was his lab assistant in the late 80s. And Pietro fights a dinosaur, so... He does. And the high evolutionary... Uh, who cares, guys? He's, like, yeah. devolving into an ape and then hyper-evolving into a god, and it's, and like, all this unstable stuff. Anon, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, one of the knights is a traitor, the man-beast, who is also a creation of the high evolutionary and has disguised himself. Uh, Exodus and the man-beast are working together. They pressure the knights to work for them. Uh, White Tiger is somehow involved. Yes, because she also was created by the High Evolutionary. Yes. 
and she's part of the heroes for hire so they all get involved this is the siege of wonder crossover which you do not need to worry no. about the big thing that happens there's two things one is this guy called nestor shows up who is never explained but the implication he's like super fast and has magneto powers and the implication is that he's he pietro is the from future, the future he's the future time traveling version of pietro but this is never actually addressed um anyway Quicksilver steals the isotope E and supercharges himself and becomes incredibly powerful. And he's like, power, power like my father's. And is like, you know, all megalomaniacal suddenly because he's super powerful. And he is so driven into mania that he challenges and defeats Exodus for leadership of the Acolytes. And then does absolutely nothing with the Acolytes. Yeah, no, he doesn't no. really do anything with it, um, except that the high evolutionary ascends to godhood or whatever and, like, turns the knights on Quicksilver, and then Quicksilver, uh, the yes. heroes for hire and the acolytes team up, and they they use the isotope E. Uh... I feel like the best way we can sum this up is somehow this entire series is on Marvel Unlimited. If you want, if to you'd read like to read it, yeah, drug trip of a comic, please feel go free. for it. It's terrible. Um, it's absolutely yeah. terrible. It's just bad. There is that one interesting bit with Nestor though, where Pietro has been captured by Exodus and the Acolytes and chained up in metal metal manacles, mm-hmm. and Nestor guides Pietro through accessing his magnetic powers. Yes, that, that never come up again. It's like his ability to fly. It just comes up once, and then they just never talk about it again. But, like, curious now, in retrospect, if Pietro isn't Magneto's biological child, why he would have... Magnetic powers. Magnet powers. Uh, I mean, again, I have theories as to how that might have happened. Hire Connor to write this book, please. Hire me to write. (laughs) Please. I'm begging you to let me fix this shit. (laughs) I won't make the mutants. I promise. I won't even make them as kids, but I could do it. I could do it. I could make it all work. Anyway, then enter Amelia vote, which is always a sentence that I love. Yes. In Magneto Rex by Joe Pruitt, which this leads into the dark seduction. This is 99 now. Uh, Amelia Vote approaches Pietro. And this is when things start to get good. Yeah, because yeah. Magneto has been granted sovereignty over Genosha. He is turning it into like an aggressive pro-mutant state. Quicksilver is teleported by Vote to Genosha to like see what's up. Because Quicksilver is like, it's so fucked up that my father would be given any kind of control over anything. And then Vote is like, okay, but check out the way that the humans and the mutants are interacting with each other on this fucking island. And he's like, oh, this is really, really bad. So he decides, all right, I still don't trust my father, but something has to be done to like save this population. So I'm going to help. I'm going to join the government here to be his conscience. Yeah. And he pushes for that. He kind of blocks himself off from the Avengers who get a little pissed off about it. Well, Wanda's furious. Yeah. And Justice, of all people, 
I mean, bad mouse Pietro, and it's like, shut the fuck up, Justice. Shut up, Justice. You suck. The worst. Vance sucks. But yeah, it is a really interesting beat to see Pietro push himself into that position to be on the Genosian Council, to act as this conscience for Magneto and a protector for a lot of the people in Genosha who are starting to be treated like shit. Yeah, it's him and Polaris because this is also a time when Magneto's powers have been on the fritz and he needs Polaris's help to stabilize them because yeah. she's like the opposing magnetic pole, basically. This is all the 12 adjacent, guys. So, But it's good. <laughs> I swear to God, it's good. But this stuff's good. Dark Seduction it's... is good. And, yeah, and it's, all of that um, is good. It's isn't it? It's Nicieza. Which something. is how you yeah. know you're getting good characterization. And Certainly in the 90s, it's like your best your best bet is yes. a Nicieza comic. Yep. It's also when Polaris is at her most like insane witchy look with the smoky hair. And the black and metal. And stuff. Yeah. She looks amazing. But um, there's a nice confrontation in like, it's during the Busick and Perez Avengers between Pietro and Wanda about this where wanda is like how could you you know side with our evil father and all of that and he explains his thought process and she's like oh that makes sense actually and i will support you and like we're okay there's also a bit during the warren ellis x-force yeah, where x-force they... comes to genosha to try and like retrieve something that pete wisdom had left behind don't worry about it and but pietro basically he... kind of froze the fight to allow them to do yeah, it. Yeah, he like low-key lets them win so that they can take it. Dark Seduction is more about Magneto trying to like rebuild all his power base and whatnot. Eventually Pietro and Polaris team up with the Avengers to try and stop him because he's got evil plans. And Genosha is rapidly devolving. There are civil wars Yes. Humans can't emigrate off the island. They can't leave. It becomes like Genosha was previously an anti-mutant apartheid state, and it suddenly becomes an anti-human apartheid yeah. state. This is something people don't really get about the Morrison run when it comes to Magneto, is that in the stuff immediately preceding Morrison, Magneto is like full-on fascist and crazy. He has people afflicted with the legacy virus in camps. Yeah, like there's a lot going on so yeah. it's not good characterization of magneto but that is the context that we were in at the time right yeah. pietro is exiled from genosha once his treason is discovered exiled and oddly mind wiped between issues or something there's a lot it's it's a little confusing it happens basically if it's like an eve of destruction prologue where you're watching it through the news and basically you just get that Pietro was discovered on a shipping container or something, a shipping freighter in <laughs> Russia, amnesiac and kind of emaciated and starved because he'd just been wandering for weeks with no clue of who he was. So somehow Magneto exiles him from Genosha, wipes his mind and just dumps in him in the ass end of nowhere. Probably magnets. Yeah, magnets. Somehow. Magnets do things. Yeah. You know. He's like a supporting Avengers character for a while after that again. And then he doesn't really turn up again until Genosha is destroyed in New X-Men. He is part of the incredible issue New X-Men 132, one of the best issues of 
the Morrison run, in my opinion, drawn by Phil Jimenez. Absolutely stunning. This is the one that is most famous for Polaris, nude and completely insane, wandering through the channeling all of the genocide victims of Genosha because of the magnetic signal that Eric released when he supposedly died. Right. The two characters who join the X-Men team in perusing the ruins are Quicksilver and Sabra. And Sabra is a really complicated character that we're not going to get into because it's not a Sabra podcast. But I do think that there's a very deliberate choice on Morrison's part made to have Magneto's Romani son and captain israel be like the two people looking out at the charred skeletons of genosha and debating what to do about it you know sabra also becomes a bit of a foil in the issue because she's the one person saying good riddance to magneto to magneto right and she's saying this in front of pietro Mm -hmm. who gets pissed off runs off gets upset and neil shara of all people has to be like to sabra you know that's his dad right that's his father. That's his father. Calm yourself a little bit. And then Sabra's just like, oh, I can't take this place. Pietro's always so on edge. It's like, again, that's his father. In the end of the story, Pietro is still appalled by his father. But the sacrifice that at this point it seems Magneto has made to preserve Genosha. And, you know, in retrospect, now that we know, like, the Zordon retcon makes this all complicated. But I think that Magneto did do this given the fact that zorn wasn't yeah magneto. so exactly it's common you know morrison intended this as a trick that magneto was playing but in the longer it run of continuity it actually out. is a real heroic gesture sacrificial yeah. gesture that magneto made and at the end of the story pietro despite his distaste for his father helps lorna she uses her magnetism and he uses his super speed and they complete the monument to Magneto that the survivors had been building. Yeah. Out of the Sentinel parts. And then you get that beautiful crazy. splash page on the last page with all of them standing mm-hmm. in the rubble looking out to the horizon and everyone's very solemn. Lorna is crying just fully down both cheeks. Yeah. And Pietro has one tear coming down his cheek. It's the only issue Morrison uses Pietro in. Yes. And it's a brilliant issue. Or Lorna. It's yeah. actually like, it's it's the only time they either of them appears in the Morrison run. Yeah. And it's a brilliant use of him. It's economical. It tells you so much. And it becomes this brilliant statement on why both of those characters mean so much in relation to Magneto. Mm-hmm. It's the first time that, like, you know, and at the time it was very confusing, but Lorna keeps referring to Magneto as her father, which is not what we knew to be the case. And then we get the reveal in the Austin run that she has discovered through a DNA test that he was during Dark Seduction. So that's where that all, that's where that shift happens. But this issue is the first union of them as siblings, which is something that will actually be important of all things to all new X Factor. Yeah. There. <laughs> After this, he's not seen again till House of M, I don't think. Yeah, no, no, he's not. Not in any major capacity. No. What do you have to say about House of M? <laughs> oh, we don't have enough time to get fully into it. What I will say 
I understand the X fandom's impulse to want to blame someone for House of M and the decimation. I think there is a lot of blame to go around. Off the page was the fact that it's a very poorly written story, in my opinion. That's editorially mandated. Like, we need to get rid of the mutants somehow, right? And I'd say that Magneto acts out of character. Wanda doesn't even act. She's primarily an object. Ironically, Pietro is quite in character in that he hears that some of his oldest friends are considering killing Wanda, and it destroys him. And he's distraught, and he's desperate, and he does something incredibly stupid to try and fix it. But otherwise, I think the merged fantasy realities, it doesn't work. The clear corporate rule to get rid of mutants doesn't work. What I will say, Magneto murders Pietro so horribly in front of Wanda. And if we're going to discuss fault and blame in the story, sure, which we shouldn't, we should move past this generally as an impulse. We do have to. I would say the big thing that is worth, I guess, articulating while we're doing a Pietro episode is I think a lot of Wanda fans like to put all of the blame for House of M on Pietro. And it elides the fact that yes, he convinced her to do it, but he did so because they were like, everybody else had basically decided to kill her because of the things she had done. So it's his attempt to save her. It's a misguided attempt, but it didn't come out of nowhere. It's not like he was just like, let's make a fantasy where we rule the world. It was very specifically in the interest of saving her after she had murdered several of her teammates, which is in itself a crazy story, like, but you yeah, know, where again she becomes an they're object. both culpable, yes. is what I would say, and so is Magneto, and so are the Avengers. Oh, well, always, yeah, because they should have reached out to Wanda long before this became an issue. Yeah, I mean, people get mad at Emma and Logan in this story because they're like, kill her, but I'm sorry, it was too that far was, gone at that yeah, point. Yeah, that was pragmatism on their point to. The fix Avengers are the an ones Avengers who dropped problem. the ball. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. That leads into Son of M by David Hine. This is where the character, I think, kind of falls apart. Yeah, he goes forever. Very off the rails. He's suicidal, for one thing. Yeah, and I mean, like, it makes sense that you would take the character to this place after the events of House of M. Like, Wanda has not only decimated their species, including Pietro himself, but has disappeared. He is now a complete pariah. Everyone who was there who knows about his involvement wants him dead. And he basically goes crazy and tries to seize power from the inhumans that he can use to fix what he feels he has done yeah and it doesn't work it obviously. doesn't <laughs> the terrigen mist starts to give depowered mutants incredibly twisted versions of their powers mm-hmm. like pietro gets time travel where he can kind of duplicate himself yeah he tries to cure callisto because callisto and it, it is, makes her yeah over yeah. Like her, her, he restores, yeah, he restores her enhanced senses, but to such an extent that every experience she has is agonizing. Every raindrop feels like a knife. 
Magneto's aftershave chokes her. She becomes effectively catatonic. The big thing here that's truly heinous is that he forces the Terrigen Mists on his daughter. Yeah, and it's really hard to reconcile that image of him sitting with his daughter as she's just huffing Terrigen Mist through this mask that he's going around for her. And she's just fully drawn as a six-year-old, so it's just like... Yeah, and this is, they made him a villain. I mean, this is his villain era. Yeah. It's much like his father in that way. It feels like editorial said, this character is a bad guy now. And that the story spins out of that, which is the experience Magneto had for the whole 90s. Exactly. And it starts the silent war. It hurts a lot of depowered mutants, which then carries over into X-Factor Investigations, where he's still trying to do the same thing. That's, yeah, he manipulates Richter and yeah. trying to help him with his Terrigen schemes because Richter's been decimated. Quicksilver at this point has ground up Terrigen crystals and put them in his own body so that he can do this by touching people. That gets resolved by Richter, who at the end of this storyline pushes them all out of Quicksilver's body. But first, Quicksilver ends up in this like power struggle with Layla Miller. <sighs> who knows that Pietro's evil because she knows the future or whatever, and she tricks him by showing him him reconciling with Crystal, but it turns out that what he's seen is Crystal giving him a kiss goodbye as she announces that she's annulled their marriage and Luna never wants to see him again and that like they will never be a family again. Because, of course, Crystal has to do that in a way that looks like a loving embrace. Yeah, well, that's classic crystal yes. behavior, right? Like leaning in for a kiss. You're exiled. Never come back to the moon. I guess now's probably the moment to talk about... The Peter David of it all? Yeah, I'm just yeah. going to let you go. Okay. I want you to just sort of, like, share your feelings. It's incredibly complex. And I think it's something that probably a lot of the ex-fandom can relate to, especially people who read through the 90s. Because a lot of us read those Scott Lovedale stories, a lot of us read Warren Ellis stories, and really loved them. Like, Generation Next is a high point of the Age of Apocalypse. And then you have to reconcile that with the person that Scott Lovedale is, and the person that Warren Ellis is. And similarly, Peter David has written some of the best Pietro stuff in that first run of X Factor. And then at a convention panel, he was asked about Romani representation in Marvel Comics by a Romani reader. And he went on a lengthy, screaming diatribe about how Romani people torture and mutilate their children to make them more effective at begging and stealing money from tourists. And he ranted and he railed about this. And for at least a week, because it generated a lot of backlash and a lot of people talked about it. There are some wonderful articles about it. I would say for listeners, if they haven't heard the Jamie Madrox episode with Alana Levin, it's worth going back to that because Alana was one of the people who was at the panel and they reported on this and we talk about it in the episode because it was Alana's article that sparked a lot of the discussion and Alana, who was a huge Peter David fan, and I, I took a way back, like 
you know, Peter David is, is a Jewish creator, and Alana and I both felt really profoundly that it was a betrayal of that awful kinship of the Holocaust, right? Yeah. Like, to do this. And he stuck his heels in for a long time. because Even the Arten apology yeah. is very... The apology came like a week later, though, because that mm -hmm. article by Alana came out and generated a lot of interest, which I'm still thankful for. And he went on this whole huge diatribe about how when he was filming in Romania in the 90s, doing some schlocky sci-fi thing, he had a tour guide who told him that all Romani people break their children's legs and deform them so they can beg for money. And then this incident happened in, what, 2016? Yeah, 2016. Yeah, and it's this horrible moment of... So some random person told you something that sounded completely bogus and incredibly prejudiced and anti-Zygonist, and you held on to it for over a decade. While writing, like the thing that is really sickening about it is like, you've talked about this, looking back at this specific arc of X Factor Investigations, where he's homeless and crazy and wants to kill a 12-year-old girl and yeah. actually talks about enacting violence on her. And it becomes so sickening when you realize, like, I actually did the math on this, and Pietro is effectively 20% of Marvel's major Romani representation. Because in terms of the major characters who have something big in a narrative, you have Pietro, you have Wanda, you have Doctor Doom, and then you have Megan and Amanda Sefton. So each of these characters are 20% of the representation of the Romani people. Because Wanda's kids, they're their own sort of category, yeah. and it's not really part of their story. It hasn't been anyway. I'd be interested to see a writer maybe have them explore someday. But Absolutely. until then, I would say they don't necessarily contribute to the numbers. It's not part of their narrative. No. So if you look at the characters, yeah, who are major characters, not even heroic characters, because Dr. Doom is obviously not a heroic character. No. And it's not really representational. He's a fascist dictator, which is not a position that any Romani person has ever been in. He's in reality. a fascist dictator who skinned the woman he loved to make a mystical leather armor. It's like, yeah. oh my God. What? Yeah, he's, he's, a, whole, he's a whole lot. Yeah. Setting him aside, if then you look at who are the Romani heroes at Marvel Comics, Pietro, Wanda, Daytripper, Gloriana. There's yeah. four. And this character, who is a huge chunk of that, was written for a big proportion of his most iconic history by someone who apparently was that whole time harboring these extremely racist views about Romani people. And that's really troubling. Yeah. And it, I had to reread a lot of this for this episode. And it's the unsettling feeling. It feels like a lot to say betrayal, but it does feel like a betrayal on some level to have invested in this character and this man's writing of it. And then hear such a hateful thing. Like I'm a masochist. I have watched that panel more than once. You got to stop doing that. I, I do. I do. But also just hearing the hatred, it's unsettling. Yeah, it's vicious. Yeah. It's really vicious. If, if you haven't heard it, I'm not suggesting you seek no. it out, but it's 
us explaining it is not really the same as watching the venom that comes out of this guy's mouth. Yeah. In it's... public at a at a major con. Like it's really it's honestly wild. And then fucking X-Men Legends happens. Very recently. Oh. Yes. So you kind of summed it up. There are four heroic Romani characters in Marvel. Peter David in this X-Men Legends arc that flashes back to his original X Factor run. This was last year, I want to say, or the year before. It was recent. Yeah, very it was recently. It's an X-Men Legends flashback story. And he introduces four new characters who are Romani. They're from Victor Doom's people. Yeah, they're Latverian. Yes, they're from the Sephiro band of Romani in Latveria. And their backstory is that Victor Doom abducted them, realized that they were latent mutants, and put them through horrible experimentation to activate their X-genes. And for some reason, they're all named after um, Celtic holidays. Yeah, it's very strange. It's like, it's like Samhain, Beltane, Imbolc. Savin, Imbolc, yeah. It's like Celtic. And they have weird semi-mystical powers. Mm-hmm. Well, sort of like Wanda, where yeah. it's like, like classic Wanda, where it's like mutant, but it's magic. You yeah. Know? And they become effectively this radical organization dedicated to getting a regime change in Latveria. Because the ruler of Latveria has abducted them and done horrible experiments <laughs> on them. Yes. So they take the Latverian embassy hostage to try and enact change. And X-Factor comes in. They fight. They fight. One of them has a power to conjure up someone's worst fears. Like Danny Moonstar, yeah. Yeah. And she does that to Wolfsbane and conjures up an image of Reverend Craig telling her that she's damned and she's doomed and she's a horrible demon child. Rain flips out, hospitalizes this woman, and then Alex lets this group go because he realizes, like, okay, they're effectively a terrorist group, but they are fighting for the They're right fighting course. fascism, yeah. right, yeah. They're fighting Doctor Doom. That's not a bad thing. They're doing it in maybe not the best way, but I'm not going to arrest them. So they convene at the hospital to try and rescue their teammate who Ron has hospitalized and she's comatose. She's on her breathing supports. She's looking fucking rough. And Rain finds them. And after she's found them, she sends Dr. Doom into the hospital room. You see the outside of the hospital room. You see these big green flames and energy blasts coming out. And that's it. That's the resolution of the storyline. And we've notably never seen these characters outside of this one story. So yeah. So effectively, he almost doubled the number of Romani characters in these two issues. And then had Dr. Doom kill them all. Yeah. With our hero, Wolfsbane's go-ahead. Yeah. And it's like, what What did this issue accomplish? I, I, I try to be positive on this show generally, but I do think that there has never been an adequate reckoning on Peter David's part with the way that he has helped to spread anti-Zygonist racism. And this story felt very unrepentant. Yeah. It felt as though he's like, even, you know, the heroic among them are terrorists who need to be wiped out. Like it's a very, it's just a very strange thing and it bespeaks a continued fixation on his part with exactly. romani people as 
insurgents or as like a threatening element. It's also just like you look at Fabian Nicias's X-Men Legends arc and that resolves his running plot of Adam X the Extreme. Yeah, and his other one is about Amanda Mueller. He's yeah. like, I'm tying up my plots that I didn't get to do anything so with. So much of it is going back and like, this is a story I wanted to tell, or this is a dangling plot line. Mm-hmm. And so you look at this one and it's just like, what point was there to this apart from adding to Rain's religious trauma, which she has enough of? Leave the girl alone. And torturing and killing a bunch of Romani terrorists yeah. who are witches. Yes. Who are witches and <laughs> medical experiments on the part of Dr. Doom. Which is also like, right, it's like Dr. Doom does like Mengele style shit to fellow Romani people to activate their X genes. Yeah. And Pietro is kind of just like an idle bystander in all of this. He doesn't really factor into it. Yeah. No, he just kind of makes quips. And it's like, wouldn't Pietro maybe have some feelings about these people? Or anything to say about it? Yeah. Anyway, let's... Anyway, back to where we were in the story, but I, I wanted to let you... No, I... I let you get into that. I appreciate that, and I don't want to turn this into... No, but I know that this matters to you, and yeah. I, I think that it makes sense that it does, and I know that you do feel betrayed by this guy because he gave you this character that made you feel seen, and then he revealed a prejudice that was horrifying to you and it's made you look back on all these stories that you took comfort in and question them and i think that that's worth addressing yeah. as something that exists when he's continuing to write comics and i'm not saying that he should never be allowed to write comics or anything but it's, it's worth something he discussing. should account for yeah and maybe it's something to discuss in the greater dialogue about getting better romani representation Yes, exactly. Which is the question that was asked of him in the first place that provoked the rant. Right. So. Like, maybe we should have more than five of these characters. Maybe there should be more than two people with the heritage ever hired to write for Marvel Comics. Yeah. Especially because when you look at, like, genre fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, so often they trade upon, like, gypsy stereotypes and trappings and fashion and outside beliefs, and they turn that into story. And it's like, okay, you're using the stereotypes about the Romani people. Could you also put the Romani people themselves on the page? Yeah, I guess there's one other character now that I'm thinking of is they retconned that Skyne was Romani because oh. she used to have the code name Gypsy Moth. Or maybe she always was Romani. I don't remember because I haven't read the old Spider-Woman stuff where she's Gypsy Moth. But they definitely in Thunderbolts were like, she is Romani. That's why she called herself Gypsy Moth. And now she's not anymore because we've realized that that's like not the most chic code name. Yes. Okay, I'm willing to out her to the pack because I love Scott. Claim her because she's a fun queer weirdo. Yeah, yeah she I like her. like has sex clubs and safe houses because she just likes to fuck. Yeah, she also called herself Sybarite, which I think is a great code name. And it's better than Skyne, <laughs> in my opinion. But... Yeah, no, she's like a sex club owner. She's a businesswoman. Yeah. She's a professional gal. She's an entrepreneur. You've got to respect the hustle. You've got to respect the hustle. And one of Marvel's like first bisexual canonically characters, as I recall. So yeah. she's Bring I Skyne to Krakoa. And she's a mutant. Yeah. Why isn't Skyne on Krakoa? Why isn't let's, she let's hanging with Stacey again. X? Yeah, she should be at the Bower. Yeah. That'd be fun. They should date, actually. Mm. <laughs> I would like that. <laughs> That would be fun. But so after this whole X-Factor arc with Excel, there's a one-shot called X-Factor the Quick and the Dead that Peter David writes where Pietro gets his powers back. Somehow. 
somehow, unclear how. Yeah. He's locked in a jail cell. And he speaks he's beaten to, to shit. Like hallucinations of Wanda and his father and Crystal. Crystal. And I think Layla Miller again. And, yes. you know, because it's always about Layla Miller. He realizes that he's like lost his mind and has been like down an evil path. And when he rejects that and vows to be a better person, his powers miraculously return. Somehow. Somehow. And, you know, it makes no sense. It doesn't drive with anything we know about the decimation, but I don't care. Yeah, it's like fine, whatever. Again. I'm fine with it. And then he hops over to Dan Slott's Mighty Avengers for a while where he tries to like rehab himself as a hero. This is where he does the truly iconic move of telling the press that he was replaced by a Skrull in the Secret Invasion. And so all of the evil stuff he did was actually a Skrull and wasn't him. And he was captured the whole time, which I think is extremely funny. And who among us would not do that? I love that idea of just being like, yeah. nope, Skrull did it. Yeah, I would absolutely equate all of my 20s to a scroll taking over my life <laughs> if I could. This is like, no, no, I never slept with him. That was the scroll. I didn't do that. I never, oh. ever. It was a scroll. Oh, my life journal? That was the scroll. All that a scroll. You, you can't read that shit. That was he falls out with the Avengers because they have Wanda helping them out at one point, but then it turns out it's actually Loki disguised as Wanda. Don't worry about it. This is not an Avengers podcast, but he uh, quits and eventually comes back, though, for Avengers Academy. He is hired by Steve Rogers to be one of the instructors at the new Avengers Academy. This book ran for like a million years, shockingly. There are yeah, like so many issues of it. Yeah, it's like huge. The big relationship that he forges in that book, which is actually pretty fun, is with Finesse, yeah. who is maybe the Taskmaster's illegitimate daughter. She has Taskmaster powers and she's kind of a fucking bitch. She's, to me, the most interesting new character from that run i'd definitely agree and i think her relationship with pietro is a highlight she blackmails him into like teaching her brotherhood battle techniques yeah, because which is fun. she can read micro ticks like the taskmaster micro so expressions. i keep yeah. calling him the taskmaster like the facebook like taskmaster <laughs> he good. uh yeah so she can tell from watching clips of him that he's lying about the scroll because she can read body language so she's yeah. like i will ruin you unless you start teaching me everything i want to know <laughs> and she wants to know about how to be like magneto yes which is the probably the worst thing you could ask pietro to teach you mm-hmm. but also makes sense for finesse who's kind of being positioned as a budding supervillain. yeah she's like the bad girl of the team and it does seem like not even not like in a personality way i just mean like no. in terms of She's on not a great path, necessarily. Yeah. You can see that she's taking their training and not necessarily interested in being an Avenger. Yeah, she gets that moment with Taskmaster where he's like, well, I don't know if you can be good, because if you're my daughter, you're probably doomed. But I'd say take this opportunity for all you can, learn everything you can, and use it in your later life. Yes. And it's this very interesting, pragmatic view. Where she's just like, okay, if I'm in the Avengers Academy, maybe I'll still become a supervillain, but I can learn some shit. Yeah, and there's a great moment where Magneto, who has now 
returns and is good and become part of the utopian X-Men and is a really heroic character again, comes to Avengers Academy and he's like, Pietro, I don't buy this scroll thing for a second. You're a fucking liar. Finesse flips out and is like, you can't talk to him that way. And it starts this whole fight between everybody and the X-Men who are visiting. So they have an interesting dynamic. I really would like to see them together again. I don't know if she's been used very much after this book. I think she showed up in the um, Wasp series. Oh, cool. I I haven't read that. Oh, well, you know, good for her. Yeah, I support women's wrongs. She should be a villain if she wants to be. But she also had an interesting dynamic with Laura. So you could bring her into X-Men stuff through Laura, I think. They were like friends and then she betrayed Laura and then Laura was like really in her feelings about it. But there were also kind of like gay vibes as with most like female characters who are in close quarters with Laura. So there's a lot you could do there. Oh, 100%. Then Avengers versus X-Men pops off and Pietro sides with the Avengers against the mutants because he thinks that the X-Men are going to kill Wanda. So, I mean, and they would for sure, to be clear. Yeah. uh, (laughs) And also it's a wonderful opportunity for him to punch Magneto. Yes. Which is basically the only thing you see him doing in the crossover. Like he shows up, he punches Magneto in the back of the head. He runs 347 miles in 3.7 seconds, specifically to punch Magneto across the face at Mach 5, which is funny. Which is funny. And also like, Pietro, that kills people. Yeah. Punching someone in the face at Mach 5 kills a person. Maybe dial it back. There's a great bit where he's the one who observes Emma Frost, empowered by the Phoenix after the Phoenix 5 happened, coming down to destroy that kid Justin's, like, sentinel pet. And Pietra's like, honestly, she's right. Sentinels are evil and you should let... It's a big turnaround from the Project Wide Awake story. (laughs) It's been some time and he's changed his mind. But... But it gets ruined. It gets super ruined at the end because... Because it's a very special episode where in the blink of an eye, before Emma could notice, he saved the Sentinel's heart so they can rebuild So that Justin could rebuild him. But it's fine because Avengers Arena killed them off. So it's fine. That's fine. Good riddance. Avengers Academy ends up ending. And so Pietro's out of a job, which pivots into... The uh, end of X-Factor Investigations by Peter David when Lorna has gone crazy and is like arrested at a bar for causing trouble at the bar. This is after the Hell Lords. Don't worry about it. I guess go back to the Polaris episode maybe. But uh, Although maybe worry about it a little because didn't Siren become the martyrdom to fix Lorna's mental issues? Yeah. So why is she still... Crazy? Because you can't actually fix bipolar disorder with a magic wand, but I guess it's sort of inconsistent in story. It's like, what are you doing here? Well, Peter? sure, but... but I'm at least going to weigh in as maybe an arcane expert here. <laughs> that makes the Morrigan's contract null and void. It sure does. Byron should have been free a long time ago. Yeah, well, she's free now, so whatever. Yes. Thanks, Shatterstar. But anyway, that leads into All New X Factor, which is Peter David's follow-up that is a hateful little book. (laughs) It's It's just, here's the thing about All New X Factor. I don't hate the idea of a corporate team. It's a natural evolution of X Factor as a government team, given how, like, social policy has been so corporatized over time. Like I I don't hate this concept. It's just 
there's something really mean-spirited about this whole book. Like, all the characters in it just seem to fucking hate each other, and they all have a miserable time the whole time, and they're all snarking at each other. It feels like the 90s X Factor, but, like, perverted in some way. It's like it's been poisoned. Because they used to snark with each other in a way that was fun, and this book, to me, revisiting it for this episode, I was just like, it's really unpleasant to read. There's also a lot of characters directly turning to camera to pontificate about something. Mm-hmm. Like the defense of Orson Scott fucking card. Yeah, that's crazy. What was that? Anyway, Alex, who is on the Avengers at this point over in Uncanny Avengers, uh, tasks Pietro with becoming his spy on the new X-Factor team to keep an eye on Lorna because Alex thinks that Lorna has gone crazy, which, like, she's not well at this time. So he's not 100% wrong, but it's a very condescending, paternalistic thing to do to your ex-girlfriend and to use her older brother who she doesn't know very well as a way of well, doing it is messy. They know each other pretty well. At but they point. didn't know each other as siblings and they're still like no, reassessing true. their sibling dynamic and Pietro yeah. exploits the sibling dynamic to get closer to her in this period. Anyway, Pietro to his credit feels really shitty about it and over time starts to really love being back on this team with X Factor. He and Doug become good friends which is like something that would be fun to revisit at some point he and gambit want to fuck he and gambit are fucking in my opinion in this book i also love it because the moment pietro joins the team lorna is like what are you even doing here you don't like us and gambit just straight up says he's spying on you for the avengers and no one listens no i am not He's like, no, I'm not. And Gabby's like, yes, you are. We are, no, you are. We, we, spang for the Avengers. I'm a teeth share. I know it when I see it. And no one takes it seriously, but Gambit is a thousand percent right. And he keeps repeating it. He's just mm-hmm. like, ah, he's late because he was spying for the Avengers. He was reporting to Alex. No one listens. They all just like let Pietro hang out and Gambit reaps the benefits by having filthy sex with Pietro off panel for most of this run pretty clearly. Whether or not Peter David intended that, it's definitely what's happening. It was over the moment they got Chris Anker to do covers for it because yeah. Chris Anker drawing Pietro carrying Gambit around is innate. Chris Anker thinks they're fucking definitely. Oh, so yeah. Yes. And we should say, like, you know, Chris Anka also drew that Secret Wars story where at the last minute, corporate said that Pietro and Namor and could Namor not be a couple be fucking, because yeah. there was no intention to do that in the 616 world. And so they didn't want to mislead people it was basically it was like if you're if we're not doing it in 616 we can't have them be gay in this alternate universe which i think makes sense it does but just let them be but like just let them be queer in 616 that's the answer you know that's my take anyway there's a great moment at a press conference where he is confronted by fatal who was one of the XL people. And also a complete 90s baddie. Yeah, she's, she's Dark Beast's assistant in the 90s. She works with Havoc when he's undercover in Dark Beast Brotherhood. She actually came up randomly when I was talking to... I did um, the WQMA uh, Patreon Pete Wisdom show thing. and We were talking about Fatal for some reason. <laughs> She confronts him and is like, he's a fucking liar. Like, there was no scroll, you know, and he admits it on national television. He's like, you're right. I lied because I was scared, but I take responsibility. I did all of it. And 
I'm trying and to make I'll amends. Deal with, yeah. yeah, he says, I'll deal with anything that the authorities decide to do with me. Yeah, and his reward is that Luna shows up at X-Factor headquarters and is like, yeah. this is the first time I've respected you in many years, and it starts to rebuild their relationship. Yeah, and I think an important thing there is um, Luna still has her powers from Son of N. Mm-hmm. And her ability is effectively kind of like empathy, but vision-based. Yes. Yeah, she, she can, can see your nature and like, intention yeah. and stuff like that. And in Son of M, she could see a darkness at his core that was overtaking him. Mm-hmm. And now, I think the fact that she reconciles with him in an all-new X Factor is proof that he is changing inside as well. Because she can literally see his soul now. She can see mm-hmm. that he's trying to be good, that he's making amends. And Crystal even comes by and is like, I'm proud of you for owning up to it. And like, they start to at least be like more amicable exes. Cause there is a hilarious bit during the Avengers Academy period where Crystal, like Luna is not at Avengers Academy because Crystal sends Luna to the Braddock Academy that Brian and Megan are running in Britain because she's like, you're not going to be at your father's school. I'm simply not going to allow that. Uh, which is <laughs> There's also funny. a bit where um, Warbirds <laughs> mocks the hell out of Pietro by saying that he's been cucked by a Cree consort. Yes, because Crystal has by this point married Ronan the Accuser. And she literally uses the words cuckolded. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's his, it's his long saga. Wanda then goes out for like, a let's try to bond a sister's lunch date with Lorna and accidentally reveals to Lorna that Pietro has been spying on her for Alex. Pietro at this point has told Alex, I'm with Lorna and I'm not going to give you any more information. But Lorna is pretty upset to learn about the circumstances of him joining. And it really shatters their developing relationship as siblings. So nice work, Wanda. In Wanda's defense. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) She doesn't drink alcohol and in that issue, she drinks like six flagons of mead or something. Yeah. Like she's canonically. It's an understandable mistake, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and particularly in this period, she's like, I think she's started taking antidepressants, hasn't she? So she especially should. Yeah. Be she's on antidepressants, and she downs like six beers at a ren fair, and is halfway through chewing through a turkey leg when it's like, Wanda, you're a vegetarian. Yeah. So the whole sibling dynamic that's been developing gets fucked up. And then like a month later, it gets really fucked up because that's when Axis happens and the retcon happens because during the big inversion that changes everyone's morality, evil Wanda tries to exterminate her own family with a spell. The spell hurts Pietro, but Magneto is completely unharmed. And the revelation, therefore, is that they are not related by blood. Which I'm just going to say... Wanda could have fucked up that spell. That's not definitive proof of anything. She also alters reality constantly. So if she yeah. wanted to alter reality a little bit at that time so that they weren't biologically related, she absolutely could have. There's a lot of ways out of it. The question is just whether corporate wants to get out of it, and I'm not sure that they do. So They don't. Clearly the writers and editors have tried to a couple times now, but I just think that this may be a decision coming from the floating space palace Disnopolis that has nothing to do with what the writers and editors want. So, you know, that's life. Let's when Wanda pivots into Uncanny Avengers by Rick Remender. This is not an Uncanny Avengers podcast. No. And it should not. Quicksilver joins her on the Unity Squad. There's lots of antics with the High Evolutionary. 
and luminous. Yeah, which Ugh. don't worry about it. Definitely don't worry about it. The big thing is that Wanda is left really thrown by this revelation and wanting to uncover the truth of their ancestry. And Pietro simply does not care and doesn't want to do this again. He's just yeah. happy to learn that he is not Magneto's child. Yeah, he just throws his hands up and he's like, okay, this is the fourth retcon. I'm out. I'm, I'm out. just going to live my life. I'm, I'm going to go date. I'm going to join the fun Uncanny Avengers with Rogue. Yeah, he ends up on... written by Jerry Duggan. He ends up on Jerry Duggan's Uncanny Avengers long term, which is the fun Uncanny Avengers. Yes. And he has a lot of fun there. He hangs out with Deadpool. He dates this new character, Synapse. Uh, He gets his leg broken by Ultron at one point. He gets mind-controlled by the Red Skull, which is not so great. Not ideal. But the big thing is the confrontation he has with Wanda in the Scarlet Witch solo, which I want to give you an opportunity to talk about. I know a lot of people love the Scarlet Witch solo. The James Robinson one, yeah. This is Scarlet Witch Volume 2. There is a lot of good stuff about it. But to me, it kind of epitomizes that thing we talked about in the first half of this episode. Where when Pietro appears in a Wonder story, he gets diminished and flattened to serve her. And in this instance, he really does, because he shows up to tell her about Civil War II, which I refuse to believe that Pietro ever cared about at all, because why should anyone care about Civil War II? And he kind of tries to press gang her into choosing a side... And she's reluctant. She just says, like, the last thing the world needs is me joining another big crossover event. Which is true. Yeah, which is progress. And then from there, Pietro is written so nastily. Like, he's like, I miss when you were a stupid little girl who followed every order I gave. It's honestly character assassination of him in a way that's wild. I buy into characterizations of pietro being slightly patronizing slightly condescending yeah he's not a nice guy and he is condescending but this is a little much i think yeah this is everything turned up to a 15 instead of just an 11 and wanda diagnoses him as a sociopath because she's read about it on the internet yeah uh and it's very much positioned as wanda being right if you read this as a scene that is legitimate. That's kind of a horrible thing of Wanda to do. Because the reason Pietro struggles to relate to the world around him is because of his power. Yeah, he's not a sociopath, to be clear. No. Like, that's not accurate. And it does feel, reading it, like the comic is saying that it's true. That it's because true. it's the Scarlet Witch book. So, what Scarlet Witch is saying has some validity to it. Especially when Pietro is being framed as the villain, calling her a stupid little girl. And it's just like a gross misunderstanding of Pietro's powers and how he struggles with him. So at least for that issue, I don't really vibe with it. I know a lot of the other stuff is really great. The art is great. Beautiful gowns. Yes. (laughs) I don't vibe with the thing where the Scarlet Witch is a matrilineal... Yeah, I hate that. I fully hate that. I mean, I know you don't like it on like a Romani representation level. Yeah, because it's... Because the Scarlet Witch is something that racists called her that she reclaimed, and the idea that, no, they called her that because it's true, is like... Yes. 
all Maximoff women become the Scarlet Witch. <laughs> they all have a gift for magic. For witchcraft, specifically. It feels very, like, a little missed the point to me. But Yeah. What are you going to do? So I don't, I don't drive with it. That leads us to the book where they reconcile a little bit, which is Quicksilver No Surrender by Saladin Ahmed, which I quite like. I love it. It is one of my top five Pietro stories, in my opinion. If anyone asked me, why do you like this character? I immediately point them to that mini first. It's a great little mini. I mean, Saladin's yeah. always pretty great, but he's given an unenviable task here, which is like after everything we've just been talking about that's happened since 2005 with this character, write a solo mini series for Quicksilver where he's the hero. And he does a great job. Yeah, he completely sticks the landing and he does it in such a wonderful way by effectively taking Pietro out of step with reality. He's boosted by Wanda's powers, so he runs so fast that he breaks free from time itself. And the whole world freezes. Yeah, and he thinks he's completely isolated and alone in this world until he realizes that there are these super speed specters racing around the world, harming people, and they're him. Mm -hmm. He is literally trapped in a world entirely on his own, fighting his own demons. So it's effectively Pietro Maximoff goes to very intense therapy and actually listens for once. It masterfully hits all the beats of the character, all the things you should like about him, all the things that are sympathetic about him, and all the things that are a potential plot for him moving forward as a person and as a character. So I think just if you want to understand why someone likes Pietro Maximoff, read this book. Yeah, like it's pretty recent, so just pick it up. Yeah, yeah. The big thing basically is that the monstrous entities that exist in this time-frozen state start attacking people who matter to Pietro, whether it's the guy he buys his latte from or the woman who was the immigration lawyer who helped him and Wanda out when they were younger. He's trying to save these people, and eventually it targets Wanda, which leads them to a conversation that's more healing and uh it's good yeah it's good for them it leaves him in a good place going forward as a character he just hasn't really been used much it was four years ago no. and there hasn't really been a quicksilver story since there hasn't no and there are just so many great lines in this book like i have to at least read out one yeah go for it where he's realized what's happened and he just in his internal narrative he's like so i've saved the world but now it will go on without me fast enough to get away from anything that can hurt me but always leaving people behind story of my life that is a perfect summation of how he always fucks himself over because he flees from his vulnerability yeah, I cannot say enough good things about this book. So check it out if you're interested in maybe a sympathetic look at a character who has been treated pretty unsympathetically over the years for some reasons that make sense. He's not a very nice guy and other reasons that might give us pause. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say generally before we get into the questions? Because we got more questions for this episode than for 
most episodes of Cerebro. I'm not going to be able to read nearly all of them. I stopped at a certain point. I was copy pasting them into the doc. And then I was like, oh, there's like 20 more. So I simply can't. So if you're not read today, more than ever, it's not your fault. It's that there were like 50 questions submitted for this episode. (laughs) My one thing I will say before we get into the questions, Pietro Maximoff has a dump truck ass. That is canon. Thanks to Lucas Wernick. And we are honoring it. It's good. It's a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's canon from now on. Gary Jaffe writes, Hi, Connor and Luke. Greetings from Brooklyn. Love, love, love the podcast. First time writing in. In my 20 plus years of X-Men fandom, I never realized there was a whole queer community built around our Murray Mutants. So thanks for opening my eyes and giving us all a truly incredible space in which to congregate. Much gratitude to you and Anthony Oliveira for the Pyro episode. Your grappling with the AIDS metaphor was breathtaking, particularly the question of what Krakoan resurrection could mean for those we lost. One of my core personal queer narratives is that my uncle died of AIDS when I was three. So I lived my whole life processing his legacy and trying to conjure him in some form or another, mostly through my work as a writer. The idea of Arbor Magna providing a relationship where I never had one is honestly overwhelmingly sad to me, but beautiful. Well, thank you, Gary, for sharing that. That's really lovely and personal, and I appreciate you writing in about that, and I'm glad that we could give you that. Anyway, Pietro questions. I know you don't like the 97 Quicksilver solo series, but I read it when I was too young to understand what was good or bad. I just thought everything was great. Even so, there's a scene in Quicksilver 4, I think, which haunted me so much I can still picture it. Pietro's sitting at dinner with Crystal and the Inhuman Royal family, and everything's moving in slow motion, like the spoon slowly approaching Medusa's mouth panel by panel and Pietro is just so painfully uncomfortably bored I realize now this was just a reiteration of some core character work from the x-factor therapy scenes but even as a kid I wondered wow gosh is every moment like this for him or is it just exacerbated because it was a boring dinner what do you think the variability or relativity of slow motion experience of the world is is it just like a gifted and talented kid in non-gifted and talented classes feeling ridiculously understimulated until he's back doing projects that engage him or is it something more permanent and crushing how might Pietro learn to cope with it What does this say about the people he found tolerable in his life? What kind of person breaks through the mental prison his mutant powers put him in? If we must read Wanda's probability-altering powers as nascent reality warping, ugh, is it possible they're so close because she actually can slow down his perception of time? Or is it more that they just get each other so she knows what he's going through and how to talk to him in ways perhaps their father didn't? Thanks again for doing the show. It's great. You're great. Keep it up. Gary. So I'm going to start. I definitely don't think that Wanda gets what's going on inside his head. Yeah, I don't either. Because I think she gets as frustrated as everyone else with him a lot of the time. I think their bond is just that they both treasure family. And that allows them to overcome their occasional annoyances with each other. In terms of the larger question, I think it is kind of a constant thing for Pietro. But it's obviously more noticeable in instances where he can't move he can't be doing other things like in this instance a sit-down diplomatic dinner he even i remember this scene quite vividly myself he even tries to slow down eating so he can stay on pace with everyone else and he makes his concerted efforts and he's still finished before everyone else even gets their first mouthful so i do think it's something that he can't really help he can at least try and stave it off by doing other things. You get a lot of, um, and a lot of issues with Pietro. You see him and he'll be reading a book or he'll be futzing with something else or he'll be playing like a game or doing chess, playing chess against himself. 
So I do think it's an instance of him constantly having to find something to occupy himself to remain present within a moment. Yeah. Which speaks to the fact that it is something that he can't really turn off or make relativistic. And it does speak to the fact that his power is fucking horrible. It really is like a horrible thing to contemplate for too long. I mean, it really does sound like hell. And I think it is. I'd like to think that he's gotten better at filtering that or at like, yeah, or at least process. Yeah processing it differently but it sucks it does certainly as it's explained in the early 90s it's fucking horrible and i think it's also very interesting to look at it in the way people treat him and how frustrated they get Mm -hmm. it's like hellions hits on this tremendously about how mutant powers can affect people socially and how they relate to others and I think it's a shame that a lot of the characters in Pietro's Orbit don't kind of afford him that understanding a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Because he is kind of the designated heel. Yes. In most group makeups that he becomes a part of. You know, he's the heel, he's kind of the dick. So it's harder to grant him the understanding. And I do think maybe cut him some slack. Stephen Dini writes. Hi, Connor and Gus. I know everyone always references the X-Factor therapy session with Doc Samson. It perfectly encapsulates who Pietro is. However, for me, X-Factor 92 is a character-defining issue for Pietro. Fabian Cortez's discussion on the platform with him is magnificent. You almost said flat scans, didn't you? Cortez remarks. An abhorrent term, Pietro explains. An apt one, as you know, Fabian replies, before Quicksilver tells him that if there's a point to this, he would advise him to make it now. You're getting on my nerves. Cortez tells Quicksilver his father was a visionary. Pietro begins to say, my father was a, and Cortez interrupts, and you share that vision, he declares. No matter how hard you may try to deny it, repress it, agree to lead the acolytes, Pietro, guide them to the promised land your father dreamed of, and I'll call an end to this mindless bloodletting this very instant. I gag almost 30 years later. It shows how Quicksilver was raised by Magneto in the Brotherhood, and those residual ideas and the need to please his father still linger. He wants to lead the acolytes, but can't say it. The acolytes dropping and bowing in Pietro's presence was uncomfortably mind-blowing. The heavy zealot vibes had me shook as a young gay Catholic boy. On to my question. In Strife Strike files he has a whole page dedicated to wanda and pietro it says something very interesting so where go this brother and sister what legacy has their father left them will they ever be able to assume the mantle of power magneto would most surely have wanted for them or will they continue to play the part of the scorned children one thing is quite certain between the two of them the brother and sister hold within them power enough to rule the world though they continually refuse to accept this fact They individually manipulate chance and motion. What more could they possibly need to ensure that all events around them proceed in a fashion suitable to their desires? We've seen all types of twin mutants stack their power to create greater ability. Fenris, Northstar and Aurora, Claudette and Nicole Saint-Croix. Do you think Quicksilver and Wanda have some sort of chance-slash-motion super ability that they or her twin sons, who have similar abilities, haven't yet tapped into? Hmm. That's actually an interesting one. I think if I were making a judgment call on it, I could see maybe Billy and Tommy being able to do this. Yes, and I actually think that you should check out, if you haven't already, Stephen, Anthony Oliveira's Infinity comic, because it implied sort of a deeper aspect to Tommy's powers that he hasn't accessed yet. And I think that the idea of them as like time and space together is very much present. 
Because Tommy takes it into a broader scope. He has the um, vibratory explosion powers as mm -hmm. well. I would say generally, I think it might not be possible for Pietro and Wanda, if only because Wanda, even when she was a mutant, her mutant power kind of springboarded her into magic. Yeah. And that's where she sort of honed and developed all of her power. And it's especially true in the 90s stuff, at least. Yeah, Busick really pushed that. I mean, I think yeah. the big thing is that they're not in sync that way. It's also that, Like, yeah. if you look at those other twins, Northstar and Aurora have also had similar struggles with their sibling relationship. And as a result, have had a lot of struggles with their shared power. If you look at Fenris or the Sun Kwa twins, I mean, in the Sun Kwa twins case, it's a much healthier way of being in sync with your twin. But those two sets of twins tend to operate as units. And so it makes a lot of sense that their power is so attuned to one another. And I think that Wanda and Pietro have always been a little too at odds emotionally for that to work for them. Yeah, I think if Pietro's going to form a circuit with anyone based on a sibling bond, Lorna, it's Lorna. is more likely to yeah. wonder. Because at this point, he's worked more closely than Lorna in a lot of ways, in a lot of different circumstances. And I'd love to see their relationship develop more, especially now that, spoiler alert, Magneto has died in the events of Judgment Day, apparently, permanently, who knows, Judgment Day is complicated, but I think that Al Ewing set up a, a real exit for him, at least for now. So if his children are left without him and they're all trying to pick up the pieces of this legacy, her as his biological heir, but Pietro as the symbolic heir that the world recognized, it would be a good time to bring them back together as characters. Yeah, especially because they have that moment of bonding in the Morrison run. Mm -hmm. And effectively, another funeral for Magneto. Yes. So it would be a very kind of poetic thing to bring them together again. He also has those latent magnet powers that haven't really been touched on since the 90s. So there's yep. stuff you could do. And Lorna's powers were latent until she got thrown in that machine back in the 60s. So there's stuff you could do. Definitely. TJ Briggs writes, greetings, Connor, an illustrious, super speedy guest. Long time caller, first time listener here. Side note, I'm from Massachusetts, but I don't have a Boston accent. So just imagine that I'm wearing a Red Sox hat or pure white lingerie for the remainder of this email. Maybe both. Connor, thank you for creating such a wonderful podcast and space to gaily talk about X-Men. It was honestly this podcast and Krakoa Welcomes' his TikToks that got me into this wonderful franchise in the first place, and I'm eternally grateful. My wallet, however, is not. To get to the point, why does it seem like nobody in or out of universe really cares about Quicksilver. Out of all Magneto's children, excluding Zaladane, Quicksilver always gets the short end of the stick. His dad doesn't really seem to like him that much, and it seems like writers don't really have much to do with him either. This year's Hellfire Gala, for example, made a big show of having Lorna and Wanda on panel together, but Pietro was nowhere to be seen. Is this just me being too young or not having read enough of the old stuff? Is it a recent thing because of him not really showing up in the MCU? Are Wanda's powers just that much cooler? Also, wasn't Quicksilver responsible for the events of M-Day that led to the decimation? Shouldn't there have been a Pretender's twin brother who also was pretending movement on Krakoa? Or do people just genuinely not care about Pietro that much? Once again, thank you so much for what you do. You put so much work in this podcast and it clearly shows. Thanks for such a wonderful series of entertainment and thought-provoking discussions. You deserve all the best coming your way. Well, thank you, TJ. 
I think the MCU is a big part of it. I really do. Wanda was never as popular a character previously as she is now. She's always been like a well-liked Avenger, but the Avengers were never that popular before the MCU. No, that's you know? why they became the MCU. They were the leftovers. Right. They hadn't been sold off to save Marvel during the bankruptcy in the 90s. I also think, though, it predates the MCU a little because Quicksilver kind of bounces back and forth between the Avengers and the X office. They never know where to put him. Yeah. And when he is in the Avengers office, it's like the Avengers is typically a bit of a sausage fest. Mm-hmm. So Wanda stands out. Yeah, there's always going to be a space for Wanda there because at least in the classic days, they needed at least two female members. And it was like Wanda and the Wasp or Wanda and She-Hulk. Wanda for and Wanda Carol. and Carol. Right. Yeah. Even in the West Coast and Forceworks days, it's Wanda and Julia Carpenter, Spider-Woman. Yeah. Like, she has a niche there as the second female Avenger of all time. And... He doesn't. Pietro becomes kind of superfluous, yeah. There's nothing remarkable about being the sixth male member of the Avengers. (laughs) He also just never really bonds with the team that much. Like, they don't like him. He has the Feral problem, to go back to Feral. Like, no one's inviting Feral to the X-Force and New Mutants reunions. And similarly, the Avengers aren't that keen to hang out with Pietro ever. Especially because it's even worse than the Feral problem. Because Pietro is specifically quite mean to Wanda on the Avengers a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Especially in relation to the Vision thing. And Wanda cries about it. Right, and they all like Wanda and Vision, yeah. so they're annoyed at Pietro most of the time. So like, it would be like if Feral was being a bitch on X-Force, and every time she was, Boom Boom started to cry. Right. Moondragon, who is the other, like antagonist team member even Moondragon is so turned off by Pietro that she like manipulates his brain yeah that's a pretty damning statement so you know it's tough as for why he's not been popping up as much in like X-Men stuff I think that the reason Wanda has popped up a bunch in recent X-Men stuff is because there was a need narratively to squash Wanda's beef with the mutants now that Wanda has an Emmy and the X-Men are important again. So it's more that, yes, Pietro was partially responsible for the decimation, but that's not as enduring in the minds of the readership. I also think, you know, Pietro kind of did his time. Yeah. Son of Anne. Wanda was off page for like a decade and Pietro was on page getting the shit kicked out of him for being part of it. So it does feel like he's paid for it. Yeah. Wanda is off page and then they have Children's Crusade where Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, oh no, that wasn't Wanda. That was the life force of the universe and Doctor Doom. Also Doctor Doom did did it, it, made her do it. Right. Like there's a weird retcon there that's clumsy. Yeah, it's a clumsy retcon that tries to absolve her. And I think, you know, the readership didn't necessarily buy into No, that. the readership rejected. That's part of it, too, is there was this sense that Wanda wasn't being held to account for her part in it and that Pietro constantly gets held to account for his part in it. So I feel like fans are less hungry to see him do that, whereas people really yeah. wanted to see Wanda reckon with it once and for all. And... That's what I think that story was about and why it was important to see her at the gala this year. It was also, I mean, she has a solo launching next year. Like, we're keeping her in circulation. I don't think Quicksilver's going to have a solo anytime soon. No, he's not. Plus, you know, Dorman drew that wonderful gala look for her, so mm-hmm. she kind of had to be there and looking fabulous. 
He could do a cute Pietro look too, though. Russell, just do one if you're listening. Please, Russell listens every please, week, for me, so please, I know he's listening. Please, please, just please, something, you, something please. cute. Harrison Fuller writes, hello to hilarious host Connor and marvelous moderator and gorgeous guest Luke. Connor, I'd like to start by saying you have and always will be a treasure. You helped me back into comics and open the door to a wonderful community. You've truly made the time in the pandemic and beyond well worth it. Luke, you and the rest of the moderators always make the Discord server a safe place. That and the fact that y'all are always willing to check if something is good means I'll always be thankful. Now, on to my question. I believe that of all Magneto's children, including Zaladane, Pietro is the redheaded stepchild. In my opinion, Pietro shares the most similar personality however to good old max do you believe that this is intentional and how does this fit with both of their characters thank you both i'll definitely enjoy this episode when it comes out i've talked about this a bit before not really on the show but in the discord i think that there's a reason why wanda is magneto's favorite and it's because lorna and pietro both remind him of himself lorna because she has his power and pietro because they're very similar in temperament and personality and in looks yeah and they look the same yeah which is the other thing that doesn't quite make sense now but i have again high evolutionary explanations for that <laughs> i think that wanda therefore who's very different from him both in appearance she looks like magda and in Powers, it's easier for him to displace his angst about Anya onto her and to see her as like a second chance. Whereas Lorna and Pietro just sort of remind him of his own failings. And that's what I think it is. And Zaladane, he doesn't know that Zaladane's his if she is. Because yeah. he killed her and then Moira McTaggart was like, well, that's interesting. The DNA. <laughs> What end decade, but it was too late. I don't think she ever told him about it. <laughs> interesting that Moira wouldn't. Hmm. Yeah, curious gal. Hmm. She's an interesting lady. Well, to be fair, he was pretty pissed at her at the time. True, true. <laughs> so yeah, I generally agree with your read of it. I'd also say I think the issue is Pietro and Magneto are so similar in temperaments. And I'm not trying to make a magnetism pun here. They're kind of at opposite ends of the pole. Yeah, well, I feel that way about him and Lorna. Like, if you put two magnets together, they repel each other. Like, they can't get yeah. too close. It's just, it doesn't work. At the same time, Pietro and Magneto kind of do this circle where when Magneto is pure evil, Pietro is at his most heroic. And when Magneto is at his most heroic, Pietro is being a bit of a shit. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you look at the Genosha stuff, and that's Pietro trying his damnedest to save as many people as he can and to redeem his father and to bring it back. And then, you know, you look at the Morrison run and that's Magneto effectively dead after some of his worst actions. And Pietro is still trying to find some kind of solace with him. Mm -hmm. I also think it's very funny that Wanda just never goes to Genosha. Except to make zombies more recently. But yes. Yes. I feel like, you know, Pietro reached out to her about that and she's like, Pietro, don't fucking lie. That's the made-up country from the Princess Diaries. I'm not falling for this. <laughs> Genosha? I've never heard of it. It's never appeared in an Avengers story. Except for Blood Ties that one time, but Wanda wasn't on the team then. Yeah. 
Marquez from Chicago writes, Dear Connor and esteemed guest, does Quicksilver need to be a mess to be interesting? He's always a character I connected with being Magneto's fail son who could never get his father's respect, but the character's most famous moments in recent comics were causing House of M, stealing the Terrigen crystals, and then lying when a convenient excuse came up. Is Pietro without Wanda or Magneto even a character, or is he just defined by his horrid acts in relation to them? What does a modern Pietro story look like? I wish I had an answer. Thanks a bunch. I would say definitely read Quicksilver No Surrender. While it's still about him in relation to Wanda on some level, Salina Ahmed creates, I think, an argument for who the character could be going forward. Yeah. I'd also say, even though it's not a great book, maybe check out all new X Factor for his interactions with other characters. Mm-hmm. Because his interactions with Lorna and Gambit are very are much separated. Yeah. yeah. I would say, though, he is truly only a ma- interesting when he's a mess. Yes, but many characters are like that. <laughs> True, because the Pietro Solo book, which I insist if we read, and I now truly regret, I am once again sorry, <laughs> he does become kind of perfect in that. He becomes Sir Pietro of the new men. And for at least the first like eight or nine issues, he's like, I have to do what I must to save the people of Wondergore and protect my daughter and reunite with my wife. And, da, 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 da. and it's like, Nothing about this is interesting. Yeah. He's not yelled at anyone. He's not cussing. He had a brief fight with the Black Knight, but that wasn't even that fun. Make a mess, Pietro. Do some stupid shit. Absolutely. So yeah, he's he's at his most interesting when he's being messy. Trey Thompson writes, Hi, Connor and esteemed guest. I want to thank you and every guest you've had in the last two years for rekindling my love of the X-Men after I fell off back in 2017. Well, I think that you are not alone on that. I also want to thank you for you and your guests' unique viewpoints on these characters. I've never been quite able to find my tribe within nerd spaces as a femme mixed-race leftist fag, but you've created an environment that I feel safe in, even if it's just you and a guest fagging out in my ear. <laughs> okay, on to the question. <laughs> my diva in comics is Wanda Maximoff. I'm ride or die for her and hers and that includes Pietro. I wouldn't say I'm particularly knowledgeable about him aside from the basics. Speed, bitchy, bad husband, maybe queer? Question mark, question mark. I don't know, but I love him for what I do know. Sorry, here's my actual question. Do you think he's held back by being relegated to the Scarlet Witch's brother, especially with the MCU killing him off in his first appearance? Maybe I'm just not as well-read on him as I could be, but I've always felt like he's the red-headed stepchild of the House of M, despite being generally fun on his own. Apologies for rambling again. Thanks for everything you do. Trey, Trey Station 2, on Twitter. I mean, I think that the fact that the last three questions, I mean, I organized them together to make a point, but the fact that so many of you wrote in asking about him in relation to Wanda and whether he has his own thing is an indication that a lot of the time he doesn't. Yeah. Like, again, I'll say it again. When he is in Avengers stories, he is effectively an accessory to Wanda and he gets flattened down a lot and suffers a lot because of it. So I do think, like, in a perfect world, Wanda can thrive in the Avengers office, and Pietro should be in the X office, thriving there, because it's where a lot of his best relationships are. Mm-hmm. It's where a lot of his best politics are. Like, rereading through um, the first run of X-Factor, it really kind of saddened me to see Pietro time and again be like, oh, you hate mutants? You're a fucking idiot. I am proud of being a mutant. I'm never going to be ashamed of that. Here's this person who was so proudly and vocally a part of the mutant community. And now that Krakoa has happened and we have effectively a mutant utopia, he's no longer a part of it. Right. 
And that's truly depressing. Well, he finally found a place he belonged after a life of feeling, especially as like a Romani person who was kicked out of every community he had ever found. To finally find something and again be kicked out of it sucks. Yeah. I mean, my my read, like, I do think that the easy retcon again to get out of Axis is like when Wanda says no more mutants, she also just severs their biological connection to Magneto. And if you read it that way, it's her rejection of mutantdom, but it's also his punishment for perverting that connection, you know? Yeah. Which is messy. Messy, but possible. My thing, how I would solve it, doesn't even have to be retconned. Because you look at the fact that now apparently their powers are based on the high evolutionary Mm -hmm. experimenting on them as kids. But also Wanda comes from a lineage of the Scarlet Witch. Yeah. So I guess the high evolutionary based the powers he instilled in her on that lineage. Right. So he found this source and gave her hex powers accordingly. So what's the source of Pietro having speed? And I think, you know, they're fraternal twins. You could quite easily say that Wanda is not a mutant. And that Pietro is. Yeah, Pietro is a latent mutant. The high evolutionary built on that. And I guess maybe next time we kill him, he can just come out of Arbor Magna. Yeah, I mean, there are lots of ways, but again, you'd need Disney on board, you know, so I just don't know if that's... uh, I mean, in this way, you keep Wanda as not a mutant, and you get Pietro as a mutant, which I think is the most elegant solution, and Disney, if you're listening... Like Betsy and Brian, you know, like, it's very doable. We've seen that it's possible, so... Yeah, and, you know, you killed Aaron Taylor Johnson, so you could do this, Disney, please. You could do us a solid, yeah. Yeah. But in general, is he held back? by the idea that he's just her brother yes i mean that's why he was seen as extraneous and they let joss whedon kill him off in age of ultron like he is an accessory to her most of the time he only flourishes when he's kind of separated from her Mm -hmm. like an x-factor right and since she wasn't going to be absent in these movies it makes sense that if you're going to kill one of them he's the one you kill you know yeah Samuel Chris writes, hello, Connor and Luke. As a Wanda fan, I'll try to stay on topic as much as I can. There seems to be this illusion that the twins are joined at the hip or a package deal when often they're not. As you've said, Pietro is an X-Men character while Wanda isn't. Despite this, in all of the animated series and in alternate universe comics like AOA, both characters are treated as if they're X characters and Wanda's status is even elevated above Pietro as Magneto's favorite child. Even the brief time Evan Peters acted as a solo Pietro, they had an almost Wanda character present and they eventually made him a subservient in joke for Wanda in WandaVision. My question is, why do you think Pietro made the return to being an X character while Wanda remained firmly rooted in the transition to Avenger? Also, why does Pietro tend to take a backseat to his sister in terms of popularity and status, and what would you suggest to make him more than Wanda's brother? Pietro was once a princess consort with the Inhumans, which should have counted for something, shouldn't it? I just love that you said princess. I know it's a mistake, but I love it. We just kind of touched on this, but I wanted to read that question because I think it's also why they could bring him back to X-Men. They were trying to find a place for him. Wanda had really flourished as an Avengers character, and he hadn't. Yeah. So there was no need to find another place for her. No. And, you know, again, there are much fewer female Avengers when there are male Avengers. So unless you want to write a horrible book where there are no women, 
right. he kind of needs that smaller stable of female Avengers. It's also like she had love interests over there that really stuck between Vision and then like in the 90s, there was sort of like a thing with her and Captain America that was kind of developing. Yeah, It never really goes there. But as a kid, I remember thinking that was the vibe. Pietro, like Crystal is just fraught in general, but the relationship with Crystal was never like something that was going to keep him in Avengers books because they were so dysfunctional. And similarly, she's also like a Fantastic Four character and an Avengers character. Mm-hmm. Because the Inhumans are in a weird nebulous space. Yeah, she's already straddling two different franchises and then he's doing the same. So that's never going to center them anywhere. Yeah, they're really cameo queens, both of them, apart from the early 90s when she's an Avenger and he's on X-Factor. That's really their most prominent period, both of them. Serb writes, hello, Connor, an esteemed guest. I've always been a pretty gigantic Speedster fan. The distinguished competitions, various flashes are my favorite heroes. And it's really fun to see how each one of them uses their powers in slightly different ways. While he remembers stuff that he reads at super speed, he can do the momentum absorption stuff. One of them can turn into living energy waves, etc. Tommy Shepard kind of has a similar thing going where his powers have some pretty unique variances to them. For example, he can make things around him explode. And also might be half of the Demiurge, but this is not a Young Avengers podcast. What uniqueness is Quicksilver have to his power that sets him apart from other speedsters. For such a cool character personality-wise, it always felt like his powers remained a bit on the basic end of running fast. So that's kind of the thing. I don't think there is anything about Pietro's super speed that is truly unique. Yeah, I think that's held him back. Like, Northstar can fly. Okay, I'm not going to do a whole thing, but Northstar technically is not a super speedster. <laughs> He's not. He's not. But I'm not going to do a 50-minute okay. bit on that. Okay, all right. But I will say, I think the thing that distinguishes Pietro, at least, is that he is the one of the characters who suffers the most from super speed. Mm-hmm. His entire character and a lot of his flaws are built around this kind of inability to focus, this lack of attention, this rage. Tommy has some of that, but it's also played for comedy quite a bit. You know, like, Pietro flits about in super speed and he gets angry. Yeah. Tommy flits about in super speed and it's kind of funny because he's a bit of a space case. Mm-hmm. So I think that at least distinguishes Pietro. I think that it would be nice to give him a couple other things. that, Like, I do think between No Surrender and Back in Son of M, the idea that, like, he has some latent time travel kind of capability is maybe interesting. And could maybe be developed more into like letting him be out of step or like phase or things like that. But, you know, I also think that the beauty of his power being so simple is one of the things that's cool about it. So I wouldn't want to change it too, too much. Yeah, that's something I would agree with. I love some of the flashes, but I do have this problem with them where I think once you take them to a certain level of power they're just superman like they can do anything you know yeah and the stories inevitably have to become okay the flash has run too fast and bonded with the speed force (laughs) or the speed force is evil and the flash has to race it right and i think it takes a very skilled writer to write an interesting sequence for the flash in my opinion it can be done morrison does it incredibly in their first arc on jla but otherwise like I mean, Barry Allen has been the Flash for a decade now. More than. Yeah, more than. I cannot think of one interesting thing that man has done that hasn't just been broke time some more. 
or like we borrowed this from the Wally West stuff people liked. Yeah. But this is not a flash podcast, so we should move on. Mike Layton writes, hello and congratulations on marching ever closer to the monumental 100th episode of Cerebro, Connor. Thank you and your esteemed guests for making this easily one of the best podcasts I listen to with one of the best hosts, period. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. Your stuff has truly changed lives for the better, and I hope you always remember that. Well, geez, guys, you're all being very, very nice today. Uh, Now, I get embarrassed sometimes to read that stuff aloud, but it's always very nice. You shouldn't be. It's, It's a big accomplishment what you've built here, and I'm incredibly proud of you. Thank you. Now on to the man himself, Pietro. I have two questions that I'll try to keep brief since I know that would be preferable about the man himself. I remember hearing once that unlike other speedsters like The Flash or even future 2099 speedster Mean Streak who can turn their speed on and off, Pietro is always on and just sees the world as a slow, agonizing experience. What do you think is the most infuriating thing for him to wait for that would be speedy or normal or slow for us? I think that for me, it would be like, microwaving something it's one minute but sometimes that feels really long to me and for him it's like 10 minutes three hours yeah yeah that would be really annoying i'm gonna go one better taking a shower can you imagine stepping under a shower head turning it on and it's and so then having slow. to wait yeah having to wait like i don't know maybe a couple of minutes for it to start coming down and then just watching the water come after you I would hate that. And I love a good shower. Yeah. And, you know, this is a guy who's running across the country. Hey, he's sweaty. He's sweaty. He's got to shower a lot. That's a bummer. That would be infuriating. Or brushing your teeth. <laughs> Anything that involves hygiene and water is going to be infuriating. At least when he's brushing, you see, like, the brushing action, he's doing that himself. But, yeah, waiting for the faucet would be annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Two, I know his status as a mutant isn't necessarily a thing now, but when I learned he was married to an inhuman thanks to this podcast, I was stunned. Is that still a thing after the oft-redacted IVX? Would that benefit or hurt mutant and inhuman relations? Anyway, keep being fantastic and fabulous. The unofficial 2099 correspondent, Cinema Freak X on the Discord. They have not been married for a while. Uh, Their marriage was annulled back in the aughts, but it was funny. It was funny. And it absolutely would have been a detriment to mutants and humans if they were still married. <laughs> the thing that's important to remember is that until the IVX era, mutants and inhumans never had a problem with each other. Like, that was a very abrupt shift. It was just like the Terrigen Clouds killing mutants. Like, it just sort of happened suddenly. I mean, actually, Quicksilver was huffing people full of Terrigen mist all throughout that Son of M stuff, and it didn't create M pox. It just drove people crazy and sometimes made them explode, but that was when he did too much of it. But it was not like the M pox situation. That's always kind of confused me, frankly. Crystal actually, during the, this is why Crystal has like rights on this podcast, besides her being a real housewife. Crystal during IVX was the only inhuman who really like stuck her neck out to try and help the mutants who were suffering. And I think in part that's because she had been adjacent to the mutant community at times in the past because when she was married to Pietro, they were under the impression he was a mutant and he was on X Factor and all that stuff. So she knows those people a little bit. And I think that that's why she was sympathetic in a way that her family was not. I feel like Crystal is possibly friends with Lorna somehow. I would love that. She's definitely friends with Megan because she sent Luna to Braddock Academy. I can't see it so much Megan and Crystal just because Megan, 
I wouldn't want to subject her to that. Well, I feel like Megan doesn't realize how awful Crystal is. That is a good point. They're like probably very like we have tea friends, not like let's talk yeah. about your marital problems friends. Whereas Lorna, no, Lorna, Lorna and Crystal are going to go full problems. Real Housewives. Yeah, and it's yes. fun. With Megan, I think she just finds Crystal entertaining. You know, she's funny. And she's got that very pretty thing in her hair. That's with the hair. How does that work? I can't figure it, it out. Is it a hairband or is, is it, it a hairband or is it a pattern? I don't know. <laughs> Avery Michael writes, Hi, Connor and Luke. Hope you're both doing well. Long time listener, first time caller. Love the pod. It's really helped me through my commutes to class. And I've been listening to it while trying to study. I hope you both have fun trying to string together Maximoff family continuity and make sense of retcons that I'm not going to read, but I'm just going to assume are all a big don't worry about it. I want to ask you about the parallels between Tommy Shepard and Pietro. Both have the same power and seem to get the shorter end of the stick when it comes to being the favorite sibling in and out of the story. Do you think this is because they work as a foil or mirror for each other, both being compared to a magical sibling? Pietro was supposed to be gay in that parallel time thing originally before that was shot down, and both Tommy and Northstar have super speed. Is there something inherently queer about having super speed? Also, who's Tommy's favorite aunt slash uncle, Pietro or Lorna? Thank you again for all you've done, Connor, and for introducing me to this amazing franchise. If with Leah's X Factor, and thanks to the pod and your work, I felt more at ease being queer in comic book spaces. I always had an interest in comics, but the fear of being ostracized or being the gay kid in that kind of environment subsided when I saw the TikTok of the bimbo's mastermind arguing in the graveyard. <laughs> well, that makes me really happy. So I'm glad that you've found I a supportive that. space for this podcast. I love that so much. I think Tommy's favorite is Pietro, and Billy's favorite is Lorna. Like that. Exactly. Is what makes yeah. the most sense to me. I mean, I think it's canon in Children's Crusade. Pietro comes along and Tommy is just like, yes. Right. Finally, someone who understands. Whereas I think races. Billy is like, Uncle Lorna's a diva. And it's like that kind of. I mean, I think that the reason why they both fall off a little bit is that they are the pricklier one. They are also the one who is less often a protagonist in stories generally. They're more of a complication, whereas Wanda or Billy tends to be the one who gets introspective focus. I also think that comics fans are often more likely to identify with like the bookish wizardy one than with the brash speedy one yeah i also think it was kind of over for tommy the moment that um billy and teddy were canonically gay like years before tommy oh, was canonically decades bisexual. before yeah yeah, yeah 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 people picking up young avengers it was such an incredible thing to have that gay couple billy's an iconic character in a way that tommy isn't to the yeah. wider world and to lay people and, and fans who are much more casual. Yeah. Tommy, unfortunately, comes to the party a little late. As for whether there's anything inherently queer about super speed, I think it's more that super speedy characters are often written as bitchy and men who are written as bitchy are often gay coded yes. by fans I, or by writers. Yeah. So, yeah. Trevor Gardamal writes, hello, Connor and Bucks. For a character named after a specific color, Quicksilver sure wears a lot of blue. What's worse, he used to wear green. Silver accent, sure, but he's only had one silver costume and it arguably sucked. To this matter, the Scarlet Witch has never really worn Scarlet. Do you think these names should have more influence on their costumes? What about with Speed and Wiccan? Should Speed wear blue to match with Quicksilver's more recent looks over the last 30 years? Or Silver? Or stick to green? Should Wiccan wear red instead of blue? Should his name be Scarlet Wiccan or Azure Witch or whatever? Should Polaris have a green or purple twink to follow in her steel footsteps i want this family to have a coordinated color scheme damn it 
Oh, while I'm at it, is Magneto's hair color officially part of his mutation? I think I've seen some comics portray him with white hair while young. Is Quicksilver's hair like also a mutation or an effect of the high evolutionary, whatever the fuck is going on with him? Do you think his hair should be white, silver, or platinum blonde? Anyway, congrats on the New York Times article, and I'm excited for the last 10 years of the character file to last no more than 15 seconds because Pietro fell off. Sincerely, Trevor. Oh my god, I just remembered Luna exists. She should have silver hair, I guess? I think Luna has Crystal's hair color. Yeah. Sort of. Luna's more blonde and Crystal's more of a redhead, but it's in that strawberry blonde range, both yeah. of them. And I think it's important that Luna has Crystal's hair color because then it furthers the kind of thing of this is not Magneto's hair. Mm-hmm. Especially because as she grew up, she either developed the same pattern in her hair or Crystal bought her a little hairband. Yeah. She has also Crystal's like weird Kirby hat headband. It links her visually to the Inhumans rather than to Pietro and his family, which is part of their story. I think that the white hair is absolutely a mutation in the case of Eric, because when he's de-aged repeatedly, he still has white hair. And I do think that it should be white. I don't think it's platinum blonde like Saturnine. I don't think that it's silver like an older person. I think that their hair is like white, like albino white. Yeah. If you go back to the 60s, Magneto doesn't take his helmet off. And so Pietro's weird little hair style with the white hair and the pointy bangs happens first. And then later they give it to Magneto. It's definitely supposed to link them visually to imply that these are biologically related characters. Now you would have to assume there are high evolutionary reasons for why that might be. As for the color schemes, I like him in blue. I actually like that black and white costume he had in the 90s with like yeah, the lightning bolt that goes in the of, middle. Yeah. Yeah. And the little armband thing. And yeah, that's a really good look. I had that action figure and I thought it was like a sexy look. I think also the light blue and silver look, the modernized version of it looks really good. Mm-hmm. Like the one where he has kind of the hand protectors. And... Yes. And it is like silvery blue. Yeah. More than it was in like flat coloring. I do think he needs to ditch the green. Forever. The green has to go. Especially because that's the costume Magneto put him in. He does not need to be revisiting that. Polaris absolutely needs a purple and green twink following her around. Her. I fully agree. Part of why I think he needs to stick to blue instead of green is that green is Lorna's color. And now that they're, yeah. now that she's one of the siblings, she needs to have a, a distinct color herself. He also needs to stay away from purple because that's also Lorna's color. So I think that the blue and silver is the way to go. Also, he needs to stay away from purple because his purple outfit has a fucking hideous fast forward logo. Yeah, that insignia is not great. That's the one flaw with No Surrender is he's in that fucking outfit. For the first parts. He changes out of it, but yeah. yeah. And it's great. He's also through Jerry's Uncanny Avengers in that purple outfit, (sighs) which is a shame because he's fun in that. Yeah. Isabel Schuyler writes, Hi, Connor and Luke. Really loving the pod. I'm new to the X-Men and comics in general, and this podcast has been a huge help in understanding these characters. This is a pretty short question, but what's with the hair style-wise? Like, I can admit I haven't looked that hard for an answer, but, like, does Pietro gel it up, or is it just like that from speed? I feel like the hair looks too uniform to be an accident. So what are your thoughts on his weird-ass hair? Thanks, Izzy. I think it is absolutely just how... It's like Superman's little spit curl. Like, it's just how his hair sits. It is fully crazy and doesn't make sense, but it's from the 60s and we just have to ride with it. And I like it. I think it's cute. Yeah, and it's kind of one of his most distinctive trademarks. Mm -hmm. I do think he probably tries to slick it back and then just through running and motion in general, those two tufts kind of 
it whips back forward. up. It's like a cowlick, but in the front. I've got to tell you, I've got thick curly hair, and mm -hmm. my hair does the same thing a lot of the time. Like my hair looks terrible right now because I went outside for a walk. There was a brief gust of wind. <laughs> Yeah, Like, I was on the bus the other day, and I'd kind of just gelled my hair back very lazily on my way to class, and I was looking in the window at my reflection, and I was like, when did I become Wolverine? Right. What the fuck happened? And Pietro's hair is kind of Wolverine-esque. It is. It has the, the sort the, of points. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think he's just gelling it back, and then life and wind and super speed is saying <laughs> no. And I identify with that. Wilson Hayworth writes, Greetings, Connor and Luke. In the spirit of the character, I'll keep this brief. Thanks for the show. Quicksilver's monologue and examinations really hits home with my ADHD some days. It's always good to feel seen in a book. Anyway, on to the important part. Costumes. Pietro's outfits are thoroughly mid, and I think that's why Magneto hates him. When you look at him compared to Wanda or Lorna, Pietro's just not bringing anything of value sartorially. Add on to the fact that DC is so thoroughly occupied, the fast twink with the lightning bolt lane, and Pietro's left looking like a dollar store speedster. Do you have any ideas on what this guy could wear to earn Magneto? daddy's love best wishes wilson shambling mound of flowers on the discord if you could just like put him in something totally different what do you what do you think you would do um i think you've got to stick with the blue mm -hmm. because it's just such a contrast to the flash yes honestly though i like a lot of pietro's outfits i think the 90s cross lightning bolt looks good i think when phil jimenez does the one with the white bolt across the front with the high collar it looks good. Mm -hmm. I even think his all-new X-Factor look looks good. Yeah, I mean, I think they all look pretty good in those all-new X-Factor outfits. It's just a, it's like a uniform that's not... Yeah, but it's a good uniform. Mm -hmm. Especially when done by Krasanka. Yeah. But I think if I was going to do, like, something complete, maybe show off the arms. Let him have a slut. Ooh, era. that'd be fun, yeah. Yeah, like show off the arms and maybe just like a little arm guard mm -hmm. here, kind of like runners have for impacts. Yeah, I like that. Maybe make white kind of the central color. Yeah, I think that could be fun. Reese Indigo writes, God, where to begin with this hot mess of a person? I think the biggest thing that comes to mind is why is Pietro the worst father on Earth 616? Oh, that's a little harsh. He seems totally uninterested in his daughter, and I get she's being kept from him somewhat due to royal inhuman stuff, but I think it'd be weighing on him every day. Even Cyclops got his shit together with his kids. Pietro seems fine just being angry and going fast. How do we fix this? Is it fixable? Can't wait for whatever jokes, guffaws, and impressions you do in this latest run of episodes. They cause me to have to explain to non-fans why why I'm laughing hysterically on the set of what we do in the shadows. Make mine Cerebro. Well, that sounds like a fun set to work on. Yeah. And I'm glad that Cerebro is there. Say hi yeah, to all those jealous. vampires for me. Yeah. Please do, because that show is incredible. And bravo for the work you do. But, but as long as Charles Xavier exists, Pietro yeah, truly, is not truly. The there are also a lot of other examples, but I, I think that it's twofold. One is Crystal has custody and she doesn't want him to see their kid very much. Yes. So there's that. But it also does weigh on him when he's not It does, it. yes. Like he's constantly just like, oh, I wish I could get my shit together so I could see my kid. And his happiest moment in recent years was in All New X Factor when he came clean on television and Luna came to see him and was like, I forgive you and I love you because you're my father and I respect that you did that. So 
part of it honestly is that scott got it together with his kids because his kids are cable and rachel who are like characters that people care about and luna has just never been that major character she also has the franklin richards problem of being a baby who was born on panel who now is like 12 or 13 which is a problem because the rest of the marvel universe has like she has soap opera rapid aging syndrome where the other characters haven't aged but she now is a teenager and i think that's awkward so i think that for that and inhuman reasons she's mostly been kept off the page also saying scott's got his shit together is giving him a lot of benefits those kids came to him as fully grown adults who had raised themselves he he did travel to the future with gene and adventures of cyclops and phoenix to raise cable so yeah but only to the age of 12 he missed the difficult teenage years and then cable comes back as a full 40 year old yeah it's true so like if you go by what some people say about Cyclops' age, to rent a car, Cyclops needs cables <laughs> find permission. <laughs> so, you know, Cable raised himself, I'm going to say, like, in at least in terms of... Yeah, the Ascani sisters helped, but yeah, it yeah. was not really Cyclops' thing. No, I think that Pietro really does care about his daughter. It's just circumstances kept them apart, and she also is a character that narrative circumstance has kept mostly off the page. Yeah. I definitely agree. Kathleen Snook writes, Hi, Connor and Luke. I'm so very excited to see that our boy Pietro finally gets his own episode. The Quicksilver No Surrender miniseries was the first comic I ever bought monthly as it came out. I've always adored our melodramatic speedster. I have two questions. One, does Pietro go to furry conventions? He was besties with the Knights of Wondagore, leading them in his solo comic for a spell. Do furries remind him of his friends and put him at ease? Does he have a fursona? Or does he actually not like furries, feeling like they're being disrespectful or appropriative of the new men? I'm gonna go with the latter part. I think he's like, so this is weird. Them. I know real animal people. I don't like this. Yeah. Why? Why does your head come off? Right. Why are you a purple wolf? Wolves aren't purple. My friend, Mr. Wolf, is brown. Exactly. Two, is Pietro upset that Luna never seems to be invited to family reunions? Does she just have bad vibes? <laughs> Thank you so much to both of you. Luke, for your amazing work as a moderator in the Discord, and Connor for hosting such an amazingly queer podcast that routinely brightens my day. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you. I think that it is conspicuous that Luna is never invited to House of M events, and I think it's because writers forget about her, and fans forget about her, and Crystal is definitely not invited to the family reunion. And if you invite Luna, you kind of have to let her mom come, and nobody really wants Crystal there. It is also canon, though, that uh, Luna has bad vibes. Oh, very bad vibes. Like in the most recent Fantastic <laughs> Four, I think, <laughs> Johnny gets a call from Crystal and Crystal kind of wanders off because I guess she saw a married man in distance and has sure. to deal with that. And Luna gets on the call and just kind of looks at Johnny with her freaky power eyes and is like, you're going to fuck everything up. You're going to sleep with Dr. Doom's... Well, she doesn't say this literally, but she reads... She implies that you just sleep with Dr. Doom's fiancé, which does happen, yeah. And then it fucks everything up. Ever since Pietro gave Luna the Terrigen Mist and she became a creepy little child with psychic powers, she has had extremely bad vibes, to be fair. Yes. Like, I don't want an eight-year-old that can see inside my soul. I, I don't need you to know about my trauma, yeah, Luna. Yeah, right. Please, please, put the sunglasses back on. But I think that's what makes her fun, so I'd like to see more of yeah. her. Yeah. 
I've got two questions now that are sort of related, so I'm going to read them together. Patrick Talbot writes, esteemed Connor and guest, I remember having a distinct vibe that Quicksilver and Namor were fucking in House of M. I also thought something was going on with him and Richter during X-Factor investigations. Also, marrying Crystal is gay. What do you think is going on with his sexuality? Other than an ultimate accent where he definitely wants to bang his sister, has he ever actually been shown as straight? And then Jeremy Lawrence writes, hi, Connor and Luke. I'm very excited to hear your thoughts on my favorite judgmental narcissistic, do you know who my daddy is, asshole. And I can't wait to see how you make the whole episode about the love of my life, Cristalia Amaquilin. My question is, do you think Pietro is a member of the Alphabet Mafia? I feel like there's a subtext to his character that hasn't really been dug into. Personally, I enjoy him the most when I read him as a catty, stuck-up queer man. I don't think this is too much of a stretch because even his own estranged wife was very ready to accept him coming out when she misunderstood what he meant when he said he was seeing Doc Samson. And even though he didn't date Polaris, he was on a team with her for years, so that's got to mean something, right? If Marvel were to have Pietro come out, who would be your ideal partner for him? My choice is Iceman because we all know Bobby loves a bitch and I think Pietro is the perfect bitch for him. Thanks once again for making my favorite podcast from Long Island with love, Jeremy. I honestly am like really into the Pietro and Namor thing and I wish it would actually happen. I think it's unlikely it to happen. It would be incredible. But I love it. I mean, do we read Pietro as queer? Yes. I think Pietro yes. is a very bisexual character and it's just very there on the page and it would be very easy to just have that be a thing very casually it would also be very funny because you know he'd think that it would infuriate magneto somehow when of course magneto Father, is the most bisexual character i am bisexual <laughs> and he just marches in and magneto's sitting there in the fisherkin's robe like uh-huh really yeah hmm. Yeah, no. I, as for who he would or should date, I mean, I do think that he and Hercules would be really f like they have been on teams together and he's very Hercules's type. He's just a little older, but Hercules is currently dating a twink with white hair. Yes, a bitchy twink. With <laughs> yes. White hair. So. But they absolutely fucked when Hercules came to pick up Pietro from the X Mansion. Absolutely. And they that. Yes. So I would like to see that. But yeah, Pietro is by 100%. He's fucked Gambit for sure. Yes. He should fuck Namor. Yes. He's absolutely had a recurring sexual fantasy about Alex Summers. Oh, yeah. As always, I have to say this for the sake of our mutual friend Justin Park. He and Sunfire, Sunfire would be yes. fun. I mean, they practically fused into one person in that one storyline, like Justin mentioned. Mm hmm. And also, they've both fucked Gambit. So. Yeah. They could talk about that. I will say I would not subject Pietro to Iceman simply because, <laughs> you know, if Pietro's finally going to come out on page and be bisexual, I would like nice things for him. And I truly do not believe that the men hooking up with Iceman are having a fun time. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Like, not to read Bobby too much, but... Eh. Eh. Kurt Wildshit writes, hello from South Africa, Connor, and your lovely guest. Oh, that's one accent I am not even going to attempt. Good. Good. I've been listening to the Pixie episode, and this podcast alongside Hawksbox got me back into the X-Men after a years-long lapse. On Quicksilver, I first encountered him on X-Men Evolution, and ever since watching that show as a kid, I was struck by how fast and loose Pietro's adaptations play with his personality, design, and more. He's appeared in several cartoons and two movie franchises, and the versions of Pietro in each often don't resemble one another in personality or appearance. Why do you think Quicksilver makes it into so much other media in such varied forms? Do creators care more about the name recognition than anything else? Is there something about him that's crying out for a retool? Tooling. Looking forward to hearing the episode, and thanks for making this wonderful show, Kurt. 
I don't think it's necessarily that he's crying out for retooling. I think it's that his powers make him an excellent addition to any mm-hmm. visual adaptation where you can have the characters in motion. Yes. Because super speed is always going to be an engaging visual, especially in animation where they can push it a lot further. And I think that kind of lends itself to why you wind up with these different variations. Because the animators or the special effects team people take it on, and then they can have so much fun with it. Evolution Pietro, he's still kind of a brash bit of an asshole, but he's also very comedic, he's very joking. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is because they realized they could have fun with him with this power, just swooping in and out, doing horribly dickish things, and then laughing about (laughs) it. And it's kind of the same in Wolverine and the X-Men. He's a bit more brash, he's a bit more confident, effectively because he's leading the Brotherhood for Magneto. Fox Quicksilver, or Peter Maximoff, which infuriates me that they call him Peter. Yeah, well, it's already like, these characters get so de-ethnicized in adaptations to begin with that it's frustrating to like literally just call him Peter on top of it. I also have this, I believe it's true, but some people might say it's just a theory. They added that character to the movie so last minute. Just to fuck with Disney, I think. I really do think it was spiteful. Because you can absolutely completely take a scene out. And that's why they kind of have to after he's pulled off this incredible prison break for Magneto. The scene that's literally just a scene from Futurama, by the way, like almost shot for shot. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Where Fry drinks the 300 cups of coffee and saves everyone from the fire. Yep. But yeah, he does that. And then he proves that he's kind of the most powerful character in that movie. And then they're just like, oh, no, you can go home. We don't need you for this final confrontation. We have Beast, so it's very clearly like reshoots that they did to fuck with Marvel in the same way that Fox blocked Emily Blunt from being cast by Marvel. As Black Widow, yeah, which that's a timeline I think about constantly. Likewise. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, no, because he was added so last minute, I think they just went with whatever they wanted, and that's why he acts like Impulse, basically. Mm -hmm. And looks like Impulse, too, frankly. Yeah. Pat Matsutani writes, Hi, Connor and Luke. I grew up watching X-Men Evolution. I really enjoyed their version of Quicksilver. He was a mini-boss-level goon with a big chip on his shoulder, always scheming and thinking he was smarter than he was, and ultimately ineffectual and disappointing to his father. While I don't know how it applies to Quicksilver in the comics, I know he also seems to be, at the very least, a giant asshole with half-baked plans who hates his dad, which makes him very in line with my favorite fail son, Daken. I came to this realization while walking my dog, and while I'd love to pose an interesting question with it, all I can manage is this. Would they fuck, or would they start a support group that would last about half a meeting and include only them and like Tyler Dayspring. Much love as always Pat Matsutani. They would form a support group and then they would fuck afterwards. I like the idea of Duck and, and Quicksilver as a hookup. I think it's fun. Yeah, I love it and it would infuriate Logan and I think that's an incentive to both of them. Yeah, absolutely. Like the idea of having sex with in Dakin's case someone with super speed in Pietro's case Someone with super healing. So, you know, no refractory period. Yeah. And then the added bonus of uh, pissing off Logan. We know Dakin likes super speed. Yeah. They'd have a very half-hearted support group, which was mostly just cursing and drinking. And then they'd fuck. And I'm 100% here for it. 
James McNeil writes, Hello, Connor and Luke. I have some very important questions about the petulant Pietro. How does it feel to be the inferior version of North Star? Rude. What will it take for Magneto to express approval or love for him again? Unclear. What does his grinder profile say, and who does he wish would unblock him? Excited for the episode. I promise all my Quicksilver slander comes from a place of love. Thanks for all you do. James, I like the grinder question. What do you think his grinder yeah. profile says? I feel like he doesn't actually have a profile. He strikes me as that kind of guy. Where it's like just like a, it's just a yeah, torso it's just a or it's a blank and he just like bothers yeah. people. Yeah. And maybe just like the bare minimum, like his height, his weight. Sure. And the person he wants to unblock him on Grinder is Steve Rogers. <sighs> Josh Hall-Bachner writes, Dear Connor and esteemed Luke, I'm sure a lot of the questions here are going to dive into all the ways Pietro's a giant goddamn mess, but I enjoy the rare cases where we get a glimpse of more functional Quicksilver. In the age of apocalypse, Pietro's an effective and reliable member of the X-Men, and he's paired off in a crack ship for the ages by being in a romance with Aurora, a relationship that here is bizarrely respectful and functional with a teasing but mutually trusting vibe that works for them as part of the team run by Pietro's father, Magneto. I'm not suggesting that the 616 versions of those characters should hook up or anything. That would be crazy but is it even possible for main universe pietro to have a mutually respectful healthy relationship does he need to have a better relationship with his own family first for this to happen what's the crack ship for pietro proper that can elevate him to something above sad broken fast man looking forward to your thoughts yours josh quincognito on discord and then faizan rashid writes dear connor and gust greetings from pakistan if you could read this in a scottish accent for no reason that'd be great my question like Quicksilver's patience will be brave pietro couldn't make it work with crystal who do you think would be a perfect match for Pietro then maybe Rector or Sage or perhaps Boom Boom as always thank you for the podcast I didn't can a week without a Cerebra episode now especially in this rainy monsoon season to pass the time Shukriya Faisan Rashid thank you for writing in from rainy Pakistan and thank you Josh what do you think about Pietro and dating like we've obviously been like lasciviously all the men that we'd like him to date but in a world where he's not a canonical bisexual character what female character do you think it would be interesting to pair him up with because they've never really tried in recent no. years there was synapse, there was the synapse but... yeah but it's brief yeah and it didn't really work for me just because she was very much like an innocent newbie to the team and that doesn't feel like someone you can bounce off Pietro I'm going to suggest something kind of left field here and kind of insane, but I think it works. Pietro and Emma. That's fully crazy, but I'm going to take a second to think about it. Because Pietro needs someone who can dom the brat out of him. And we well, that's why he and Namor make sense. And like why yeah. Emma and Namor are fun is because it's like Emma is doming the dom with Namor, you know? And also Pietro is... Mutants and Prouds. Asterisk. Yes. Yeah, asterisk. <laughs> he was saying Magneto was right well before that little pink-haired pretender. <laughs> like, he was saying that back in the 90s. Like, mm -hmm. maybe Magneto was had a point. Right. And he's got that very pragmatic attitude. So I think he and Emma could actually... It would be brief, because I think Emma couldn't stand him. In yeah, the I don't think she'd have the patience. I think for maybe a week or two. They could be fun, and she would absolutely sort his shit out because she wouldn't have the tolerance to put up with him being a brat, so she would take him in hand. That's funny. I mean, I do think that he could be a fun guest star for Emma and Namor if they were to be together again. But Oh, 100%. You know. 
Kara writes, Hi to Connor, an esteemed guest. I'm from rural Tennessee, and I hear no shortage of creative insults from the subtle to the absolutely devastating. Truly, the southern accent makes them even funnier. It's no secret that Pietro's an absolute B-word, and honestly, I love that for him. Marvel seems to have an abundance of arrogant or prickly men, like North Star, Namor, or Sunfire, just to name a few. My question is, do you think those guys meet up on occasion just to complain about how annoying everyone around them are? Or would they hate each other too much to do that? Who would come up with the snarkiest insults? I recently drove back to Tennessee from Orlando, and this podcast was a godsend on the long drive. Many thanks, Kara, Sage Toad T on the Discord. I think they all meet up for sex, and the snarkiest comments would come from Sunfire, who is funnier than they are. Pietro has his moments. Of he has funny. his moments, but he he takes himself a little too seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah. I also think it's kind of like a constantly evolving thing where you have to keep a map of who's mad at who and who's snarking at who. And Nemo's meeting with Sunfire to bitch about Pietro. Pietro's bitching to Sunfire about Northstar. Northstar isn't talking to anyone this week because someone insulted <laughs> Kyle's cooking. It's basically real house fags of Krakoa. Absolutely. Dante writes, Howdy, Connor and Wondrous Guest. With all the bad and otherwise dramatic things that have happened in Pietro's life, what do you think is his happiest moment, or what do you think it would be? I definitely think, you know, you can point to that moment where Luna forgave him. Mm -hmm. I also think, like, her birth is a real, like, earnest moment for him when he's a, when he becomes yeah. a father, in part because of, like, his own relationship to family and, like, not having anything, you know? I also, and I forget where exactly this is established, I think it might be from No Surrender, there's a memory from his childhood that he seems attached to, where after he and Wanda got powers, they snuck into the Eurovision Song Contest to watch it. Hold that thought! Okay. Because <laughs> there's a question Holding. About it. Holding, holding. Zach Jenkins writes, Hey Connor, hey Luke, when does Quicksilver go from X-Men character to Avengers character to Inhumans character and back again? I know he was on X-Factor and mutants were the biggest possible thing ever, but it feels like after that, he's only ever used an alternate reality to show how different those X-Men are. If Peter Allen David stopped writing comics, would Quicksilver ever be in an X-Book again? Great job, Zach. Whether or not he'll ever be in X-Men books again feels, again, like it's more up to Disney and how separate they want to keep those characters. I do think that Trial of Magneto went a long way toward restoring the family dynamic, even if, again, it's a little awkward to have them be his adoptive kids when that was never their relationship previously. It's how we understand them, so, like, it's the best fix that's possible, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah, although, sadly, Pietro is kind of absent from the later half of Trial mm -hmm. of Magneto which I'd love to see maybe just like a brief revisit of that moment. Yeah, or like... Perhaps in Pietro morning Magneto, maybe they had one moment in Trial of Magneto. Or maybe we'll get a little more in the Wanda solo that's coming up. Yeah, I'm hopeful for that. I'm very excited for that. But as for if he'll ever be in another book without Peter Allen David writing him, I hope sure so. so hope so. <laughs> Eric Tarnowski writes, Hello, Connor and Luke. First off, congrats, Connor, on the recent milestones for you in the podcast. The Marvel's Voices essay in the frickin' New York Times. Love to see it. Thanks, Eric. On to the questions. Sorry to non-tabletop RPG fans. Firstly, Luke, I've been a big fan of your Danger Rooms and Dragons builds for all the X-Men characters on Twitter. You really helped my understanding of how to achieve a desired effect in character building and fed my addiction to character creation. How would you build Pietro in D&D 5th Edition? Is he a rogue, a monk, or something else? Is that a spoiler? Do you want to do it? That is a spoiler. 
I think the obvious answer that someone might go for is that there's this build where you can make a tabaxi monk and through a combination of feats and abilities, you can make it so they can run at 720 miles per hour in game. <laughs> But you have to basically focus the character solely on that. Has to be totally min-maxed, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But I do have something in mind for Pietro. And I think by the time you're listening to this episode, it will be up on Danger Rooms and Dragons. There you go. Secondly, I ran a D&D X-Men one-shot using some of Luke's builds. If the two of you were in an X-inspired D&D group with either the rest of the Discord mod team or some other Cerebro guests, which X-Men characters do you think you'd choose? Mod teams and guests, feel free to chime in yourselves in the Discord. Do you think you'd go with an original story or adapt an existing one as a module? Thanks to Luke for helping me learn how to build RPG characters intelligently, and to both of you for the amazing community you foster in the Discord and beyond. Eric E. Tarnowski, the uncaring on discord thank you eric eric keeps track yeah. also of like all of the various things that happen on this show he has this thing called the dwipedia that's an ongoing document <sighs> the dwipedia is yeah incredible. it's really incredible so thank you eric for that yeah thank you for all those kind words it's really touching if we did X-Men D&D, I think I absolutely would play, depending on the story, either Betsy or Kanan. Like, I would do one of them. I, I'm either Sneaky Psylocke or Captain Britain Psylocke. And that's um, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And I also really like those builds. I think that Betsy as, like, an adapted half-elf paladin, right? It's, like, a fun Yeah, idea. I think it was... I think it was actually Cleric Warrior, and she was a That's Spy right. Warrior, so yes. she had to tell like a niece. It was perfect. It was perfect. And I love playing clerics, so... I and then Canon was the Psy Knife Monk. Yeah, I mean, so that's... She's happy. Yeah. The Soul Knife characters in 3rd edition were very clearly just, like, based on Ninja Psylocke, I thought. <laughs> Basically, yeah. As for who I would play... It's always hard to imagine because every time I imagine an X-Men one-shot in D&D or something alongside the other mods or other players, I envision myself DMing. Right. So I'm the one trying to kill them all. Well, then what would you want to run, do you think? This is also a spoiler because I think maybe someday we should do this. Okay, then you know what? Hold yes, that hold, hold thought. that. Because I do have actually a notebook full of an entire x one shot <laughs> and i don't like want to tell you because there are so many spoilers okay then don't tell me because i want to play Last question, Sam Guido, last week's guest, writes, Hello, Connor and Luke. Pietro is a character I've had a hard time connecting with. He's been in a lot of Avengers and X-Men comics, but not many that I've read. I recently read Quicksilver No Surrender, which was the best argument in favor of that character that I've seen. He even gets his own Save the Cat moment when he saves and adopts an adorable turtle named Mr. Dibbles. I do love Mr. Dibbles. Mr. Dibbles is incredible. My question is based on a panel from that mini where Pietro says that he and Wanda used their powers to sneak into Eurovision twice. Which years did he and Wanda sneak in? Who did they see? This is not an age discourse question. Answers are based on vibes. I really enjoyed the Shatterstar episode. And I'm looking forward to your thoughts on this very angry speedster, Sam Guido. I'm having to do some furious Googling right now. <laughs> Because I absolutely want them to be at the 2006 Eurovision. That's the one where I think Finland won with um, Hard Rock Hallelujah. Mm. But Iceland's entry is like gay camp history. Because <laughs> uh, the thing about Iceland is we never want to win Eurovision. Yeah, Luke lives in Iceland, by the way, if yes, we didn't mention yes. that. And is a... For context. Are you a citizen? in Iceland now or you're a resident uh, I'm or... not 
I'm a resident because gotcha. something went wrong with my citizenship and apparently I didn't exist for a few years. Okay, well. So I have to start over. But you've lived there for a long time is what I'm yes, saying. Yes, yeah. very long. The thing about Iceland is we love Eurovision. We put our all into competing in Eurovision. We cannot afford to ever win Eurovision because it will bankrupt the country. Then you'd have to host it. Yes. So in 2006, they had a comedian go to Eurovision as basically this pantomime of Britney Spears and kind of Kesha in a way called Sylvia Knight. Yes. And her song was Congratulations. I have seen and it was this like, Congratulations. One. And it was all faked. And people got so angry at her. And she did like fake press conferences <laughs> talking about how the other entrance has slept with the judges and calling people sluts. <laughs> and a friend of mine actually went with her to pose as her bodyguard because <laughs> he's a. Uh, He's kind of a professional strongman and bodybuilder. So he's this gigantic six foot six, completely yoked Icelandic guy. And the stories he has to tell about that Eurovision are incredible. So I would love for Pietro and Wanda to have been there. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And make no mistake, I will be linking Sylvia Knight in the Discord when this episode Oh, yes. Out. No, please do. I'm Sylvia Knight. And I remember the whole fucking bit. That was good. And she had um, two backup dancers called Homme and Namme, which means gay and candy. <laughs> well, Luke, is there anything else you'd like to say about Pietro Maximoff before we wrap up? I do have a Real Housewives line which I have used on Twitter before, but I would like to make it official canon. Hit me. My sister may be a witch, but I am the one who's wicked. Love it. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you on social media and plug anything you want to plug? Okay. For starters, I would like to say there's been a lot of notes thanking the moderators for the job we do. We're only able to do it because the Discord population is so great. You guys help us create a space that is so wonderful to be in. And we appreciate your contribution as well. Like, I just didn't feel right not saying that, not thanking you guys as listeners and commenters and crazy people. Uh, in terms of where to find me, you can find me on Twitter at buxnalois85, which is B-U-X-N-A-L-A-U-S-8-5. I'm usually just talking about either X-Men or random crap. You'll find me recapping Riverdale when that's in season. So I apologize. <laughs> Only one more season of it. So, you know, Only it's time one to more jump season, on. But they've gone back in time to fucking 1955 somehow. I love that for which them. Is insane. Truly insane. And then Danger Rooms and Dragons. Yes. That's been on hiatus for a brief while, but I am hoping that by the time this episode is up, that will be back in progress. I have the orphan maker build ready to go, and that should be up. Yeah, because you were in the middle of the Hellions when you left off, right? Yes. The nanny build is on the way. I'm going to try and time a special Pietro build for this episode so that they release simultaneously. And then, because I've been getting a lot of requests for them, I'm going to hop into the 90s and do Jubilee and Gambit. So look forward to that in the weeks to come. Mm -hmm. I have some other stuff in the pipeline, but it might be a little too early to plug. But um, watch this space. Okay, cool. Once again, thank you so much, Connor, for having me. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. Thank you for being a part of it. I really appreciate everything that you do for this show and just for me in general as one of my longtime friends who I can 
scream privately with when I don't know what I'm doing. So. <laughs> it's been an honor. It's Aww. been an absolute honor. Thank you, babe. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at DreamOfOrganon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus links to the Discord server, the merch store, and much, much more at CerebroCast.com. You can support Cerebro on Patreon at Patreon.com slash CerebroCast. For $5 a month at the House of Zaladane tier, you get exclusive access to the Secret Files bonus episodes, including the weekly Claremont Marathon plus an ad-free version of every episode as soon as it comes out. Just last week, I uploaded the audio from the FlameCon live show with Jay Edidin. It was great to listen back to it because I had blacked out for most of it from nervousness. Oh. As <laughs> so someone was... who couldn't be there at the time, it was incredible to be able to listen to it. Next week's episode will feature Spencer Ackerman returning to talk about the Fenris twins. You cannot send in questions for that. It is too late, but questions are still open for Caitlin Klein on Manifold and Gateway and Khaldun Khalil on Amal Farouk, the Shadow King. Next week, I'll be announcing the episodes to follow those. But for now, thank you for listening. And until next time, bye. Bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world.